Everybody. Welcome to We've Got Ward, a Doof Media podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss Ward while those return to the world of parahumans. My name is Matt Freeman, and this is the criminal known only as Scott. Scott, we're sending you away, a world with nobody. You'll be at least 10 miles from the next person, but you should know anyone else that's there. Well, they were sent there because they were a problem. You go with a kit, tent, Food for a month, heating stove, supplies, tools. Oh, good. A tent. This is just totally fine, then. Heating stove, too. (laughs) This is the weekly podcast where Matt and I eagerly dive into Wildbo's world of disappearing villains, jerk-faced therapists, and alien-based death powers as we analyze and interpret this ongoing web serial. This week, we begin Arc 13 Black with chapters 13.1 and 13.2. Matt, there's not an interlude chapter. <laughs> we, the episode might be a normal length, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Just two Victoria chapters toward the beginning of an arc. You know, I was thinking about this and and how I think the way we we cover early arc versus late arc chapters is just systematically different because yeah, just because of the nature of the chapters, there's just different stuff to focus on. Like later arc, later chapters tend to be more combat and conflict oriented. Mm-hmm. Earlier chapters tend to be uh, set up and what's going on with all these characters oriented. And so there's just very different stuff to talk about. So I feel like we were I feel like we spent a lot of weeks in uh, in our 12. <laughs> and so now we're we're I forgot how to start covering an arc. So, yeah, yeah. going to have to help me here. It's kind of crazy because like it's like that you start off so wide, right? Like it's literally an infinite amount of possibilities about what this arc is going to be about. And then as you move through the chapters, those possibilities shrink down to what to what it is about. Right. Yeah. So like I think you have to cover that that those wide possibilities in these first few chapters. So I get what you mean. Cool. All right. So let's do we want to just do it? Yeah. Let's just let's do it. Let's do it. Um, stick around till the end. We're going to do the March's Madness, I guess, conclusion. No. Well, well we're an, announcing the final the championship. The round. Championship round. We're not announcing yeah. the winner. Correct. Until yes. next week. Good point. So chapter 13.1 begins and uh, Victoria starts off this chapter focusing on her physical therapy as she listens to uh, melancholy goodbye rock. (laughs) And as I was starting to write the script, I almost wrote that she's working out. Um, But tonally, contextually, this isn't a workout. She Mm -hmm. specifically indicates that she's sweating not because of exertion, but because of the effect of of even relatively light exercise is is quite painful on her injuries um and as she goes through this routine she fixates on the injuries the the changed texture of her burned hand the stabbing pain where the centipede sliced her other other injuries that that we've seen her receive in this story um so it's it's not it's not a positive tone 
No. And I really like, I really like this opening because we learn in a bit that it's been three weeks since the events of the last arc, which in the world of parahumans is a pretty substantial time jump. We usually don't do that. Um, our characters in these three weeks, their focuses have shifted from this 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 cradle arc of merely surviving, merely getting to the next minute and the next hour to uh, thinking more long term. And that's kind of what both of these chapters are about. Long term thinking, long term planning. And, and accordingly, to set that tone up, we start with Victoria doing physical therapy. She's thinking long term about how to repair or stabilize her body. Yeah. And I really like that no matter which direction this, she's doing the stretching and you're right, it's, it's really painful for her and it's, it's like a big exertion and, and no matter which direction she turns or stretches, she eventually gets to a point where one of her old injuries nags her, right? It says she's doing five repetitions of straight forward of right then left. And each time she does this, she gets to a point where up oh, there's, I feel the bullet wound up. Oh, there's the, the centipede slash up. Oh, there's my burned hand. And it's like, no matter where she goes, she's surrounded by all her old injuries um, as if she can't escape from them no matter what she does. Yeah. And there's all this, this tone of like six steps forward, roughly six steps back. Like the, the text says things were improving in some areas, but in cases like that curl up arm jitter, I wasn't getting much, that much stronger. Sometimes injuries happened where the physio wasn't so much about getting better or getting over the injury. And it was more about keeping it from getting worse. And then shortly after that, the text continues if I lived that long, I would potentially be doing exercises like these until I was old for the rest of my life. When I got sick, I'd potentially backslide and lose that 5% of progress I had made over months of work. When the weather was bad, I'd feel the pangs and the tightness and the scars. And it's like, oh, fuck. Like, like I, I, again, it, it's interesting how um, you start out this chapter, or at least I started out this chapter thinking like, oh, good, good. She's taking care of herself. She's spending some time on herself. And it's just like, yeah. Oh my god! Like like just dwelling in 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 the the hopelessness and like like pointlessness of of what she's doing. You know, it's uh it's it's dark. Yeah, it's uh it's black. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and and we have to do our normal thing here where we take the literal and extend it toward the metaphorical, right? Because she's talking about her physical injuries. She's talking about the the literal scars that will be on her for the rest of her life. But um, we know that there's this trauma side of it, this mental health side of it. And that's the part that Victoria is not focusing on. But the text is like inviting us to make that comparison to like to, the text is almost telling you, yes, take this literal, but expand it, expand the physical scar out to the mental scar out to her trauma. It's like with words, like using the word backslide in this, like yeah. it, it, it is, it is basically saying, look at this as as this is how victoria is doing overall her state and and what we see is a person that like it's not even about getting better anymore it's about staving off getting worse it's not even about um you know not curing yourself but it's it's not it's not so much about recovery than just like not losing anything and i i love it i love it, it it's such a great like cue into Victoria's mindset because one thing we don't see in these chapters is really her focusing on any of the any of the mental shit she had to go through in that last arc like she killed people she hurt her mom these are not things that we see Victoria focusing on in these two chapters at all but the text is cueing in cueing us into this stuff is rumbling behind the surface yeah and maybe I'm making a bit of a leap here but one, one thing we're going to notice 
is that three weeks have passed since the end of the last chapter. Mm-hmm. And that's, first of all, that's an unusually long time jump between um, ward sections. I'm, I'm pretty sure that we haven't mm-hmm. seen anything that long before, actually. I may be wrong about that, but that, that feels pretty significant to me. And we're picking up here, and Victoria, at no point in these two chapters does the um, several paragraphs of internal rumination about what she's been up to for this last three weeks. It's all, it's almost as though we're picking up with her here because, like, almost nothing has been going on with her. Like, and, yeah. and, and we do find out that, like, yeah, Breakthrough's been doing things. It's not, it's not like Victoria's been sitting in her room for three weeks, but. I, I get this sense that she's been almost in stasis that whole time. And now, like, we're catching up to her when an event happens that's actually going to kind of jostle her again. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. I mean, and, and I love, like, I love how the text hints at this, right? Like, like we said, like, eventually Ashley is going to barge in. And one of the things Ashley says to her she says, you're sweating more nightmares. And I loved, like, two words, more nightmares is just a perfect snapshot into what's going on in Victoria's mind right now, because the implication here is that this is a regular occurrence. This has been happening over and over again over the past few nights to the point where Ashley has noticed it. And, um, and that's not something Victoria deals with in, in internally at all. We don't see her mention like she doesn't even react to, to, to the idea that nightmares are happening. She doesn't, her, her narrative, her internal monologue, none of that even acknowledges the fact that she's having nightmares or what those nightmares are or what they look like or anything like that. Yeah, no, that's, that's remarkable. Yeah. I, I, uh, I didn't even notice that that's just kind of a textual absence. That's fascinating. Yeah. So yeah, like you said, Ashley barges into her room and demands that she hand over the black towels now that damsel is gone. Um, because obviously Ashley should have the black towels. Um, and then Victoria shortly afterward takes uh, a shower, uses Ashley's charcoal shampoo uh, in the shower. And then she dresses in dark blue jeans, black boots and a gray sweater, which basically is a very dark ensemble. And mm-hmm. I'm pointing out this like several instances of, of her making choices with black in them or darkness in them. Not just because Wild Bo is being like literary, but because this is Victoria and we know, like, she thinks in terms of fashion. She thinks in the language of fashion, of appearances, of clothing, and of style choices. And so it, it actually means something when you have a character who you know thinks in terms of clothes, choosing clothes that, that communicate a certain feeling. Basically, Victoria is yeah. communicating something with this outfit, even if she's communicating it unconsciously. Uh, basically, the black, dark, almost monochrome outfit and and various other kind of choices she's making like choosing the black towel you could even say are choices that kind of reflect her mood i think her her yeah. her current feelings I, I i think you're absolutely correct on that um it, when you have a character who talks like lovingly about th- the message that like that fashion can send um she is aware that she's sending a message with her fashion you have to say that yeah. So I think you're absolutely right. I agree 100% on her outfit. I agree on the selection of the black towels. Um, and, and I think this is interesting, right? Because like if if choosing the black towel is Victoria subconsciously um, indicating, you know, the, her mental state through this selection, then we have to focus on Ashley's decision to barge in and say, no, 
Those are mine. You get the white ones. That's how this works. It makes sense to do it that way. And I, I'm kind of curious what, what your interpretation of that decision is, because my my initial one, my my gut reaction, the first time I read this chapter was, oh, look at this. This is this is a symbol the damsel or that 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 Swan Song is going to regress into damsel like tendencies. She's she's taken on the white. The white has become important and identifiable to Swan Song. And now damsel's gone and she's regressing back into that black. But the more I thought about it, the more I was like, you know, I've been really pessimistic about Ashley lately. <laughs> like every every one of my bits of analysis was like, uh, I don't know, this is not looking good. So I'm going to choose here to be more optimistic. And once I looked at it at this, this angle, I, I I keyed in on something that I don't know if is intentional or not, but that I really like here is that this is less Ashley abandoning the symbolic white of her new persona and returning to that black of her former self. And it and more, in my opinion, about Ashley perhaps seeing struggle in Victoria and injecting herself to kind of write her on the correct path. Um, and, and this might not even be like Ashley is consciously doing this, but just like the symbols around these towel choices could be representative of this is what Ashley feels like her role is now. She's seeing this struggle in Victoria and she's going to be the one to come in and, and, and push her back on her right path, push her back onto that white towel path. Yeah, what's interesting is I don't think I would have agreed with this until uh, you pointed out some other things that Ashley's doing in this chapter, which I think we're going to get to in just a minute. But um, basically, Ashley does seem to be paying a lot more attention to Victoria than maybe Victoria realizes. Yeah, um, I guess my first thought was just like, you know, Ashley's not going to allow Victoria to be the the, the dark brooding one in their in their pair. Um, she's like, no, no. Obviously, you're the white hat. I'm the black hat, you know, um, <laughs> right. But yeah, I think there might be more to it. I, 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 I like I, I feel like all the color choices are are are, are meaningful here. Like there's sure, sure. the arc is titled black. There's several in instances of black and darkness immediately being mentioned and, and there are things Victoria is choosing. So, yeah. And I mean, it is very Ashley to kind of be observant enough to know when someone needs uh, looking out for right yeah I mean, that's kind of what she does with Kenzie and and you know at the end of the last arc we had this conversation between Ashley and Victoria where Victoria was like I don't know what to do um, I don't know like everyone seems to be bad I don't know where to go and they were kind of going down the breakthrough list and and she got to Sveta and Ashley was like focus on that focus on Sveta make sure she's okay and in the back of my head I, I hear Ashley going well I'm gonna be focusing on you yeah and I like the subtext of that is that they don't even bring up Ashley because she's just like, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Um, so at breakfast, having defeated the very concept of eggs, Victoria is now able to enjoy feasting on the symbolic body of her former foe. <laughs> I love that the book is allowing you to continue to make these ridiculous egg joke interpretations. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Ashley made breakfast for Victoria. So, um, right. yeah, it's, it's, uh, once again, I, you mentioned this earlier, basically Ashley is taking care of Victoria in these very subtle ways, um, that are meaningful. Yeah. I mean, one of the things we've seen her do with Kenzie over and over again is this idea that don't get distracted. You have to remember to eat, eat your food. And, and we see it in this chapter, right? Yeah. Um, she, she's saying Kenzie's getting like, wound up in all her stuff while they're having this uh, FaceTime conversation. Right. And Ashley's like, no, eat, 
remember to eat. And that's kind of what she's doing with Victoria here by making her breakfast and saying, look, here, food, eat. She's taking care of her. Right. And, and again, we have to remember that it's been three weeks. Like for all we know, Victoria, like she's just noticed Victoria not eating like mm-hmm. and it has just made, made like almost made a habit of cooking breakfast for them or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like you said, they're talking to, to Kenzie at this at their breakfast. And uh, we learned that, yeah, Kenzie did start uh, a new kind of team with the junior heartbroken and chicken little um so so i guess yay slash oh no (laughs) right and i I like that the book is being fairly ambiguous as to whether this is a good thing or not right (laughs) yes yes kenzie certainly seems to be happy with it but of course we know looks can be deceiving in that department and and what makes kenzie happy might not always necessarily be the best thing for her in the long term um and, and and breakthrough through the eyes of Victoria seem OK with it. Right. Um, but OK with it in a very interesting way, because like I feel like in Victoria's head, she still kind of sees Kenzie as just part of the team because th- we get the specific mention here that Kenzie's saying, oh, remember, you're going to have to pay me for showing up here and you're going to pay me for for this work I did on this mask for you. Um, and she's like, yeah, OK. And then she she says in her narrative that the amount we're going to be paying her was equal to the stipend we give to members of our team anyway. So it's like it, it, it feels like the the reason for that statement here is like, look, I know she's on this other team. She's doing this thing with these kids now. But in Victoria's head, she really still for all for all like logistical purposes is still on the team. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you're exactly right. Victoria basically still sees her that way. Yeah. So Ashley then complains that her prosthetic feels numb and she spontaneously pulls off her arm, uh, showing a black and red stump. Um, So again, black and then red is another color we're going to see highlighted a bunch of times coming up. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that, like um, with this and with Victoria's mask, like these are two chapters of costume changes, tech check checkups, like we're, we're taking stock in everything. We're taking stock in our physical health. We're taking stock in our equipment. Um, our, our protagonist should be taking stock in her mental health, but she is definitely not doing that yet. Yeah. Right. And, and so wait, I guess we'll get to the, to the Jessica Yamada stuff, but like she's, that's been looming over her all this time too. So she does have she does have Darnall, but she I don't think she I don't know. We'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. She doesn't. I mean, she certainly doesn't. Um, I think it's it's implied at the end of the second chapter that she maybe has seen Darnall because she talks to Darnall about Yamada, right? Yeah. Um, but we don't see that interaction. We don't know how often she's met with him. If she's even met with him, just just talked with him. We don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Ashley and Victoria then head to their grim business. Ashley leaving carrying a black messenger bag. So this is a good time, I think, to talk about that arc title. We've been talking about black things a lot, but but what does black represent, right? Um, yeah. Because black, as we know, is the absence or complete absorption of light. There is no light in black, none, by definition. Um, and throughout this this entire story, our arc titles have been playing off light. Um light in different ways and and it's both like the positive and negatives right like light can be a beacon it can also be gleaming but it can but but it can be blinding as well um things can cut into light shadows shade and eclipse right yeah um and now like there's just black yeah the the absence of light i mean no light at all it is interesting because pitch is maybe the closest prior arc title right but and pitch is black but but black is like almost a more essential way of, of saying it. Like 
you know, pitch can still like you can, you can still see shadows when you look at pitch. Black is just black. Like it, yeah. it has no features. Um, and and it, it doesn't have the, the connotations of like pitch can be sticky and, and so forth. Black right. black is just like the purest form of, of like you said, either the absence of light or interestingly, the saturation of every color of light, which is um, which is we're not nearly far enough into the chapter to talk about what these connotations could actually mean yet. But um, there's definitely something there, I think. Yeah. And I mean, I think the first couple chapters are definitely seeming to me setting up the negative connotations of it. Right. Yeah. Um, that, 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 but I, I do think it's interesting that the way these, the story has been playing with imagery and kind of reversing imagery, right? Like, like light can be enumulate, <laughs> light can be illuminating and it can, it can bring forth truth. It can bring forth, uh, hope, but, the text isn't afraid to show the negative side of that too. And I'm interested if we're going to show, you know, the positive and negative sides of the absence of that light, if we're going to try to explore that. Yeah. I, I bet we do. We, we usually cover the duality of, of a lot of these things that we're, yeah, that's true. Yeah. So yeah, cool. So Victoria and Ashley uh, are joined. Uh, they join Natalie, Kenzie, Aaron and rain at the new uh, wardens HQ as they observe from a distance, Moonsong dumping Byron. Yeah. Uh, and I like, so, so there's, this popped out way more on a second reading, but basically it says, I pass Natalie murmuring my hello and I approach Rain and Aaron. So, so basically she just completely blows off Natalie and then, yeah. and then she proceeds to spend like eight sentences describing Aaron's outfit in detail. Yeah, you're right. And, and if you look through the scene, she literally describes what every single person standing around is wearing, except for Natalie. Um, the first time I read the section, I was like, oh, wow, she doesn't drag Natalie's fashion choices. Good for her. But maybe she just didn't have anything nice to say. So she just didn't mentally say anything yeah. at all. But I don't think Victoria could resist if she had something to say, at least in her head. Yeah, we could consider this like a step up, maybe. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, I definitely... Like she's definitely warm to Natalie over time, but this is this is still just. I mean, I just thought it was kind of funny that the fact that like I almost read it as like I don't know. This is maybe not super generous to Victoria as as a as a human being, but like she is sort of the the kind of person who gravitates toward the dazzle of capes and beautiful people, and judges people based on their appearance. So like, of course, she's gonna walk by the normie. Natalie to go talk to Rain and the hottie Aaron like that that's just that that is kind of how she thinks like it's I I think it, I think it's accurate like I don't think I'm being I don't think I'm being unfair here I think she does do this a lot I think it's more than that though um, yeah and, and I think it's the murmuring of that hello right mm -hmm. um she's clearly uncomfortable around her in my opinion that this kind of like quick murmured hello as she walks by um oh yeah 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 who is one of Natalie's favorite people, Matt? The person that Victoria uh, splattered recently. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Carol? Could be yeah. related. Yeah. I mean, Victoria is not really dealing with um, how she's feeling about that right now. She's kind of put it off. She's um, she's pushed it out of her mind. She's not thinking about it. We know it's in there. We get, we get hints about nightmares. We kind of see... Um, we kind of see through her physical therapy, her, her pessimistic outlook on everything right now. We see she's not doing well, but she's not dealing with it. And then here's Natalie, kind of this living reminder 
of her mother because she knows about that relationship and she's eh, I don't want to deal with it. And so I just kind of walk by, say hello and walk by. Um, that's very it seems like that's very true to how Victoria would deal with with this thing she doesn't want to think about right, right i mean because there's even a risk that natalie could literally just be like uh, i heard some news about your mom or right or yeah. or you know do you know anything about how your mom's doing or something? and then victoria would just have to be like uh implode um, yeah yeah i think that's probably has a lot to do with it and the, the other interpretation is is natalie is a representative of the legal system and she's going to walk into a building right now and do something extra judiciously with the rest of the capes that she's not feeling too comfortable about um so natalie's presence here in in as she's wrestling with this grim business she called it um kind of makes her uncomfortable and she doesn't want to deal with that until she has to yeah yeah interesting how how much we we have basically three different interpretations on (laughs) i murmured my hello and and walked by uh isn't isn't close reads aren't they great it's good it's good yeah we're gonna have plenty to say about these chapters uh-huh um so regarding byron as she's watching him he probably had one or two stores he liked and picked a suitable muted color victoria couldn't find much fault in it kind of wardrobe from the selection there it's just it's so good <laughs> yeah it's not great byron but it, yeah. it ain't bad it's it's all right it's good work yeah <laughs> i i kind of i was imagining like I was imagining Tristan and Byron like in the store swapping out re- repeatedly <laughs> and Tristan like trying to urge him to be more daring and then just being like, all right, fine. If you're not going to get the, you know, the red bandana, then it, th- <laughs> then at least at least get something like that that matches, uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, the interesting thing about this whole thing is that one of one of Byron's very early claims to Tristan during their strangle fight um, was that Byron was actually more stylish than everyone gave him credit for. And it's just like Tristan like took the stuff and, and just like made it seem like it was his idea. Right. Yeah. Um, Stole the spotlight in like every possible way. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I think this kind of fits in that, that, that Byron is not style ignorant, right? He knows what he's doing kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So speaking of just like the whole, the whole everything that's going on here. um, I just love how this is all done. Because it's a bit bittersweet and it's also quite darkly comic, in my opinion, mm-hmm. as the team, like, for example, like, like here, the team is just kind of shamelessly gossiping and 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 like talking about what is happening between Byron and, and Moonsong. And then also moving on to just like school rain on the finer points of what dumping looks like. And it's I, I thought it was both like. Uh, I like felt bad for Byron and I also thought it was hilarious. I don't know if that was yeah. intended, but I, I sure did. I think it was. I, I really like the scene too. I like that Victoria and Aaron are just like so incredibly in tune with what's going on here. Right. They're like finishing each other's sentences. Uh-huh. Um, and, and then rain is so hilariously ignorant about it. It's like, it's like beauty and the beast, Matt, when like the Lumiere and Cogsworth and Mrs. Potts are like noticing that the beast and bell have a connection uh-huh. and, and rain's poor chip, the teacup was like, what's going yeah. on mama. Yeah. That's <laughs> seeing rain. It's my random, it's my random reference of the day. Seeing rain as chip is really a positive, yeah. a positive thing for my life. It's there you go. There you go. Um, I, I, I'm wondering though, I'm wondering if this says something about Victoria specifically, right? Like, cause perhaps a small hint at the complications that was were the dean relationship um before he passed away 
because like we do get this one line here where she says at least this way they get some closure not getting closure sucks and to me that's definitely a dean reference right like she never she never got to say goodbye she never got closure with this man she loved but i wonder if we're, we're getting hints at some some complicated stuff going on in this relationship we've kind of talked about how this is maybe possible because like we've talked over and over again about the pedestal and and the little bit of hints and and uh reveals in her narrative that that maybe things weren't as perfect as she made them seem. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's all. That all makes sense to me. Um, so Aaron then leaves to do a thing with Lachlan uh, and Victoria says something that I thought is, was really interesting. Um, so, so yeah, basically first uh, Aaron says something about this idea that like once something is done to your head, who knows if it can ever be fixed mm-hmm. and, and Victoria kind of blows it off and is like, don't feel too bad and says reality is, we thought there was no way around what was done to my head and my feelings, and we thought I'd be like that for the rest of my life. But things did get patched up in the end. I'm a little worse for wear, but I'm me again. And, I mean, th- this is this is cool, I think, because, like, for all that we've been f- kind of focusing on Victoria being a little bit down, uh, uh, like, subtextually, what she says out loud here is actually pretty pretty positive I, I could i could dwell on some of her word choices like the implication of patched up for example is that you didn't really fix it you patched it the problem's still there you know i'm a little worse for wear but i'm me again i think the i'm me again is the thing that i wanted to to maybe focus on as being like the most positive statement because yeah that's it's, it's pretty unequivocally just like yeah i'm 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 me again like that's I'm a little worse for wear, but I'm me again. I don't know. That, that that to me strikes me as a more positive spin than she would usually put on the whole ordeal that she's been traumatized by this whole story. I think I think you're right. Um, is this the first kind of this isn't the first like for real confirmation that we've got that that the mind messing that Amy did is fixed, right? I don't think so. I think we've known that before. Yeah, I think it was more or less. Uh, if not explicitly stated, then very strongly implied when she described yeah. what was actually done, you know, when, when Amy fixed her. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, so because I, I know I've been seeing people in, in various, um, I think even in some of our discussion questions, people mention like, well, how's how's she going to ever have like a, a normal relationship if she still has this this mess up stuff that Amy did? But it doesn't seem like that's by this that's that's not been yeah. done, right? No, I, I my impression is that Amy fixed the the specific thing that she had done yes. but victoria is still basically reeling from having had that running through her mind for two years yeah that makes sense and and like this the, the consequence of like feeling out of control and feeling like being pushed around by a compulsion that wasn't yeah. actually hers and all that stuff yeah yeah I, I really i thought this was known um and and some some conversation that i saw last week seemed to indicate that it wasn't so um Okay, That's good. But cool. yeah, no, I, I, I like your I like your you're focusing on the positive there, because I do think I think Victoria is a pragmatic person. And while she can get down the dumps and negative and pessimistic about her stuff, she does. She is a person that is able to give herself credit for <laughs> some of the stuff that some of the, the things that she's accomplished. And and yeah, I'm, I'm me again. She is she is saying that and she's and, and I, I think it is very fitting for Victoria that this happens, that this looking at herself in a positive light comes from her attempting to make someone else feel better right like that's a very victoria thing that like 
if, if maybe she was just thinking to herself about this, she wouldn't have phrased it that way. But because she's trying to encourage someone else and give someone else hope, um, she's much more positive about herself than she normally would be because that's, it's her, her kind of giving, like I need to help all these people around me. Nature makes that true. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. Um, I just wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about, uh, the pop culture of earth bet, um, <laughs> as, as for I mean, another wonderful comedic moment, by the way, where, where rain is completely guilelessly like, Oh yeah. Uh, Aaron's just been catching me up on all the old classics that I've missed. Uh, 16 candles, oil and vinegar, not so sweet 17, the love cats, metropolitan girl, ring finger, uh, the live action peanuts with the actress from 16 Ca- candles as the red haired girl. Yeah. So like, even though I didn't get hardly any of these references, I was immediately like, Oh, this is hilarious. She's just making him watch all these movies that she wants to watch that like, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these are John 16 candles is a John Hughes movie. Um, so this is another weirdness of alternate earth pop culture, right? Because oil and vinegar is a John Hughes movie that did not get made. Um, uh, I think the live action peanuts with Molly Ringwald is also a movie that did not get made. Um, but they apparently did in this world. So here we are. Um, yeah, I mean, these are kind of like, I I think the other ones are just made up. I think like, I have no idea what the love cats is or, or metropolitan girl or ring finger or any of those, but these are very like, if they follow in line with what these other movies are, these are like teen, like kind of romance love story films. Right. Um, and yeah, I mean, they're definitely like, like we're in the middle of this conversation where we're like Victoria is trying to give rain credit and it's like, no, this movie thing's probably more for me than they are for her. And then she lists all these movies that she clearly loves. They're clearly like, like almost targeted at, at a, a young teenage girl yeah. type of type of film. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it's even, it's doing two things. It's, doing fun with uh, alternate earth pop culture, but also, yeah, I mean, it's like she loves John Hughes movies and she wants to watch John Hughes movies. And so she's going to do that. And it's great. It's really great. Yeah. Yeah. And, and a little joke at rain's expense for not realizing that this is not a, a a thorough cross section of popular culture. Right. And we, I mean, this is kind of a lot of this chapter is doing that, right? Like he doesn't understand relationships. He doesn't understand pop culture. Like these are all things uh, we're going to go into next chapter about his, his style and his understanding of design. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of focus on rain. Yeah. That's a good point. We'll keep, keep an eye on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as they're walking as uh, Byron and Moonsong are walking back to the group, Byron swaps out with Tristan utilizing one of the lesser known powers of Capricorn, which is hiding your pitiful sobbing face in the shard dimension. <laughs> the first and only time I've been jealous of their switching ability. Yeah. I need like a good pocket dimension cry every so often, right? Yeah, right, right. Tristan, can you uh, can you be the face man for a while? Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, poor, poor. So I mean, that's interesting though, right? Like, I, I've I think our relationship and the book's relationship with Moonsong is a pretty complicated one, right? Yeah. Um, she hasn't been a great person. Like, being a bigot is not great, but um, I, I think it's it's maybe less like enjoying Moonsong and more just feeling bad for, for Byron here because we did see Moonsong as someone who stuck up for her. Who's the reason why uh, Tristan's lie was discovered. So we, we have complicated feelings towards this character. And so it's still kind of sad to see Byron lose someone they cared about. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely three dimensional uh, character. Um, And, but I mean, ultimately I think, 
I think Byron probably knew that this is kind of where, like, like we knew that Byron hadn't like gone out of his way to make contact with Moonsong or anything like that. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, it was more like he probably is sad about it. Um, but I, I doubt he's surprised. So yeah. Anyway. Well, and I love it as this like they weren't really dating. Um, it was basically over, but both of them were walking around as if maybe one day, and it's it's ending that part of it. I really like that idea of just like where yeah, like you think it's going to be fine, but things like this, this is ending the hope of something. And that even, even if you're not like really consciously thinking about the relationship, the idea that that, that thing is taken away forever, uh, is rough. That's true. That's true. Um, so next thing that happens, Sveta apparently has been here this whole time. She's been in the building and now she steps outside and we realize that she's covering her body with a coat, uh, and using two rain built hands, so basically, yay on the one hand, she's relatively confident that she won't accidentally kill anybody. She's sort of just out of, of any kind of protection. But also, um, you know, it sucks. She doesn't have her body anymore. Yeah. Uh, she's obviously not, like, thrilled about this situation, but um, it, it's better than nothing. Yeah, right? It's it's great. <laughs> <laughs> yay. Yay. Um, I guess like, yeah, it, it's weird because we kind of everyone kind of collectively agreed last week that out of this team, the one that's probably doing the worst and is going to continue to be doing the worst into the future is Sveta. Um, but she's doing OK. And maybe that's the threat of it is that everyone's kind of like like we have a, a Vista a little bit later said, like, I'm really shocked at how well Sveta's doing. Maybe that's the danger, right? Everyone yeah. thinks, oh, she's doing great. And actually underneath it all, she's not. And then you add you add that weld ticking time bomb to that and it's going to be bad. But, but yeah, I mean, obviously she's not great. Um, we learned that in a conversation a little bit, but, but she has hands. She doesn't have her body, but she has hands and she's comfortable enough being around other people without lashing out and killing them. So, you know, baby steps. Yeah. Little, right. Little I'm, baby tentacle. I'm, steps. I'm having a pretty hard time being positive about this. I mean, and I'm trying not to lean too much on the metatextual, like she's the only character we haven't had an interlude from, <laughs> right, which is, right. which is completely true and, and impossible to ignore. Um, but like even that, even outside of that, I, I, I've, I have often felt in this story, like, like she's acting more okay with certain things than she actually is. Right. Like we talked about that at the very beginning of the story. Sveta's thing is unrelenting optimism um, because she ha it has to be it has to be better. Right. Like things have to get better. Yeah. Was what she said at the very, very beginning of the story. You, you have to be adding bricks to this tower of bricks that you're building. Right. And yeah. Yeah. Well said. So. um, So basically she uh, yeah, Victoria talks to her for a little bit and tries to go out of her way to. Oh, yeah. So first she, she goes out of her way to make Rain feel good about having helped Sveta, um, which and, and then when he kind of continues to be a, a, a downer about it, she uh, delegates the uh, HR violation to Tristan, tells Tristan to, to give him a punch. Yeah. And this I really like this a lot because, like, I think I think they've they've grown to respect each other a little bit more. Yeah. Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think. I think they like she saw what he did in the last fight. She saw what he went through and she has an appreciation for him that she didn't have before because we saw in the last arc, she got, she was really short with him. She gets really annoyed with him very quickly and she doesn't do that here. And she sees a moment to just say, Hey, look, 
you did that. You see those arms? You see what she's do- she, how she's standing right there? It's, it's a little thing, but it's a thing that you did. And it, it, it comes off of this, this constant disparagement. And she doesn't like, even when he's like, oh, no, it's mostly her. She did it. I just helped out. It, like the, the Tristan smack him for me is much more like, like rolling your eyes than actually like upset and annoyed by his pessimism. Right. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I think there's, there's more scenes in these two chapters where Victoria is actually giving a lot more attention, mm-hmm. a lot more positive attention to rain and, and actually kind of seeming to care about him. And I think we'll get to that um, yeah. shortly. Yeah. 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 So yeah, Victoria then goes and catches up with Sveta. She talks about her arms. She says, I have arms and they feel like mine. And he's trying to figure out how to emulate the skin that Ashley has over her hands. Uh, that's amazing, isn't it? So, yeah. Um, yeah. So this is, I mean, this, I want to be hopeful, right? Yeah. Like, it's like, I, I have arms and they feel like mine. They feel like mine. That's like, she doesn't have her full body back, but she has these arms and they feel like hers. And that, and like, she's, she's writing and she's getting, her handwriting is getting better. And you're seeing those are maybe some of the bricks, right? You're just talking about the, the, the bricks. And maybe that's some of it's like, I have these arms. They feel like mine. I'm, I'm writing in this diary. Um, I'm, you know, putting my thoughts down bricks, bricks, bricks. Yeah. And, but yeah, I think, I think in the back of your mind, you're like, okay, is this, are you really okay? Or is this you just desperately clinging on to those things out of necessity? Meanwhile, there's this turmoil underneath you. But I mean, we've been talking about Sveta and how bad we think she's doing underneath it all for arcs, right? Yeah. So like, like, I don't know if, if, if eventually we just have to be like, no, maybe she's like actually just doing okay. Or maybe this is just a, a long, slow boil to a massively huge uh, explosion. I don't know. I definitely feel like it's a slow boil. Like at, at a certain point I was like, yeah, okay. Byron's not actually evil. Um, but I'm, I'm definitely not like, oh yeah, okay. Uh, uh, Sveta is actually fine. Like I don't, mm-hmm. I just don't, I don't, I don't buy it. Yeah. But what this does is kind of confirm exactly what Victoria said to rain, right? Like that she's trying to build up rain, like the importance of what he just did, the help that he just did to, for for one of his teammates. And then her first conversation with Sveta, Sveta literally confirms that these arms, yeah. this is, this is a thing I'm holding on to right now because I have these and it's it's great. I wish I wish Rain was there to hear it. I don't think he was. Yeah, but. I think you're right. So they all head inside, joining a bunch of other hero capes and four captured villains. And these villains are gagged and bound on their knees, uh, surrounded by these heroes in the lobby of the warden's building. And basically, um, Wildbo introduces these four villains as a case study on how can we play to your intuitions about criminality in different ways. <laughs> so we've got one is a former hero. He got hooked on smack and derailed his life and became a danger to everyone. We got one that's a plastic surgery addict who scars people for life to borrow their looks. We got another woman who acts as a gopher for a wealthy animal parts trafficker and collector who's escalated to kidnapping um, humans. And a guy with a pocket dimension that he, I guess, uses for torture and horrible things. Yeah, and that's the unconscious one, right? Like, yeah. they can't, if that guy's even awake, he could just send people into his pocket dimension. So they got to keep him unconscious. Yeah, I mean, this is, we're leading up to this moment where we're, we say we're going to disappear these four people, right? And, and we'll get to that in a second. But right now, I do think you're absolutely right that these are Wild Bo using these four people as like, these are the examples of, of different examples of the type of people where it's going to become necessary to do this thing to. 
Um, and they're all different kinds of criminals. They've all done different kinds of crimes. Um, and how are you going to feel about this? Because that's what the book is going to ask us, I think, by the end of this chapter, is is how do you feel about this? And perhaps more important, importantly, um, what does what does the necessity of this, or what do our characters feel about the necessity of this, illustrate about what the book is trying to say? Right. It's, it's putting us in Victoria's position, basically, by saying, yeah. like, here's a variety. You may have an instant reaction where you're like, oh, yeah, obviously that guy deserves to go to to you know a hell dimension that he's never going to escape from potentially um maybe that one maybe that one i don't know about that one and i think we all mm-hmm. we, we kind of uh, at least i i think probably most people kind of line up with victoria where we're like well he um drill bit like he wanted to be a hero he, he he was a hero he just he just uh had kind of a bad angle on things got addicted to drugs and then couldn't shake the addiction and and then in the course of like the aftermath of this and, and I guess the continuing process of it, he makes worse and worse decisions. But like at heart, he's a guy uh, who who wishes that he could just break the addiction. Like, at le- And I think that the text supports that that read like so it's like it's really tragic, actually, that 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 this guy is going to be sent away. And Victoria can't really articulate um, why he shouldn't be. Right. And I think that is I mean, you're absolutely right that that is. This felt icky to me, and I think it feels icky to Victoria as well. Yeah. But she doesn't like she's sitting here in this moment like this feels wrong, but I have no idea what the other options are. Right. And that's I think uh, <laughs> that's something our characters in these stories find themselves in all the time that like this doesn't feel like the right thing. But if I can't offer up an alternative. What do we what do we do? And that's I mean, and that's that's kind of exactly where I am, where I'm like doing this to people feels wrong to me, but I have no idea what what they can do. Yeah, right. Instead, well, it, it kind of breaks our intuitions a little bit because it's almost like if you just waved a magic wand and like there were suddenly no more real prisons in real life. Um, on the one hand, you you may be a person who thinks that prisons are horribly inhumane and, and ineffective and horrible the way they actually are, which I think it's true, but, yeah. but the point is now what? <laughs> yeah. And, and that's, and, and that's like a, that's not a easy problem. Like no, no two people are going to agree on, on, on the answer to that question. Yeah. So, I mean, and this is beyond rehabilitation. This is beyond punishment. This is literally just, it's not safe for people to be around you anymore. Yeah. We have to get you to go away. We're not trying to make you better. We're not trying to punish you for the things you've done. It's just, you can't be here anymore. Yeah. Now there is, there is an implication that like, they're going to be, they're going to be away for a period of time and then they're going to open up a portal and find them again. Is that true? That uh, yes, but not until the next chapter, right? That's not yeah. a wrinkle that's introduced until they're talking to Colt in uh, 13.2. Yeah. Uh, doesn't seem like that's something that's going to happen for any of these people. And it, it's, it's not mentioned to any of them. And, and even if they are planning to retrieve them later, it's like, if you know asterisk if you're still alive right right you're i mean they say they're 10 miles apart right yeah um that's not that far yeah (laughs) i mean they say at least 10 miles but like some of these people can fly right and like i I don't know like i feel like people are going to gather eventually and it's going to either become like survival of the fittest or they're going to form a community which one do you think the most damaged fucked up members of society are going to do 
Yeah, right. I mean, this feels like a terrible mistake when when you put when you frame it as like, oh yeah, we're just going to send all the most dangerous parahumans to their own planet. It's going to be like the birdcage, except they're not restrained in terms of their resources. That's going to turn out <laughs> fine. It's going to be fine. Yeah. But again, it feels icky. Yeah. What's the other option? Yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, so we kind of just jumped all around there. We, we, but. we did. We did. Well, I have to note that Annalise is present here, uh, presumably because he's been replaced by some kind of replicant since Operator Red was killed uh, previously. Yeah. yeah, some sort of doppelganger cape yeah. or something. Yeah. It's it's the only logical solution yeah. to that. Yeah, yeah, it must be. Um, Vista then explains what actually happened, how she survived March's attack uh, and being stabbed, including details on how she has another scar on her tit <laughs> Matt I died I I, I died um, <laughs> I, I, I like I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest here I was never like like I never loved Vista as much as other people did right yeah um, her death bummed me out her death bummed me out but not as much as it did like you and a lot of other people online but now I love I love her. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, I love this. Like, there's so much of Vista's personality coming through here. It's like, men, cover your ears. And they all just, like, do it. Yeah. <laughs> they all just cover their ears and probably still hear a lot of the words. Because, like, come on. How effective is, is, like, covering your ears, actually? Yeah. But just, and the usage of the word tit is just, like, this perfect little bit of personality. It's like, it's not my boob. It's not my breast. It's, like, my tit. Yeah, my tit. I, I, got, a, I got two scars on my yeah. tits. She goes out of her um, way to talk to use to use coarse language, basically. Right. Um, right. And 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 it's so fitting with her character as this person who has lived this hard, hard life since she was a kid. She's been going through all this shit. And and it's made her this kind of no holds barred kind of person now. Um like around certain individuals. She 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 just can she just it wants to be honest with people. And she says as much right here, I earned my war wound. I get to bitch about it. I survived this long. I earned my right to swear and talk about tits and dicks and how I just want to get my hands beneath one cute, unattainable guy's heavy armor before I lose it. Um, I, Like it's such it's just like like she knows she's gotten to the point in her life where she knows who she is. She knows what she wants to be and she's not afraid about it. I've earned this and I'm going to talk about it. And it's, I, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Isn't Golem just like responding to things they're saying, even though he has his hands over his ears. I think the only thing he actually responds to is something after he's been waved okay. to move his hands down. Uh-huh. But like, yeah, I just feel like they heard that whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> they're just like, it's great. Yeah. I thought so. Uh, Vista also expresses interest in, um, basically uh whichever capricorn brother i guess <laughs> which is really funny right yeah because this isn't the first time she's mentioned capricorn and um it was tristan in the driver's seat at the time right. and victoria was like no trust me you don't want to do that yeah. <laughs> it seems to be like okay well the there's the other one i guess yeah which i'm sure makes byron feel great right it's like can't have the gay one i guess i'll take the leftover right. one right it's gonna be a good relationship also the fact <laughs> that like they can't really date and Victoria neglected to mention this. So mm-hmm. anyway, mm-hmm. so they finally reveal the plan to the prisoners, which is to send these four to their prison world. Uh, like you said, 10 miles away from the nearest person, which again, like you said, doesn't sound like that much space. Nope. Um, nope. And Terry's can't articulate her reservations. And as she's thinking it over, I think this is actually 
you know, kind of cool that like as she's thinking it over, Lookout gives her her new mask, which is black with like very faint, almost invisible gold tracery. Yeah, um, um, it, it's it's great. It's wonderful. She's like she's wrestling with this image, Matt, that she or, or this decision that she's not sure. It doesn't feel good. Doesn't feel right to her, but she doesn't know how to articulate it. And she's basically making the decision here to to because she can't articulate another option because she can't articulate why it feels wrong to her. She's making a choice to go go through with it. And as she's doing that, she's donning this black mask. And it is like it is like she's assuming a new identity. She's assuming the identity of this new person as she puts on this new mask. I am becoming the person who says yes to disappearing criminals in this matter. Um, I am becoming the person who says do this even though I f- it feels wrong to me to do it perfect yeah i love that way of f- phrasing it like it's a a token of of a transformation of crossing a line maybe you could even yeah. say yeah so yeah they can't think of or you know victoria even though she has reservations about drill bit she can't really think of any real solid objections so they send all four criminals to the four different locations on earth i, I love the description of how they how they all react to this fact um, yeah some of them fight some of the, the drill bit just kind of goes almost as if he almost as if he's happy with it because then it, at least he can get off drugs like i kind of thought that it was kind of breaks your heart yeah because it? it's like it's like maybe that's the person the person who's like okay i deserve this maybe is the person who deserves not to have it happen to them yeah I, I, like like he's like when he gets the kit, he's like, don't put any really strong medicine in there. Like this is my this is my only chance to kick the habit. And it's like, man, like yeah. that sucks. Like I, I it sucks. Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's only just occurred to me, but I'm kind of like thinking like, what if, you know, what if he comes back in this story? Like that would be kind of neat. But I don't know. Would, I, yeah. I, I feel yeah. like not, though. One of uh, the really nice touches I like here, Matt, is as they're they're putting these criminals in these four different spots they're labeling them like this is spot h spot i j and k um which of course imply that there were spots a b c d e f and g um and i think i think the text might say this explicitly in the next chapter but but the the implication here is that these are not the first people they've done this to that uh if we're following the alphabet that there's 11 criminals that they've disappeared this way now um with the idea that there's going to be more coming so this is not just a one-time thing that these guys just were elevated to a certain level this is this is part of their continuing operation we we know that that Victoria used this idea as one of their leveraging things to recruit other people to their organization or their community of organizations. Um, and it is, it, we've seen this stood up now. This is happening regularly. Yeah. Um, I wonder if this is the same dimension that like, um, Monokuros is on, or if this is just like an entirely fresh dimension. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. We don't, might be. we don't really find out, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So as they leave, Natalie admits that her presence at the event wasn't about legal oversight, but merely was, she was serving as a representative um, of basically just being a, a witness. She was an uninvolved witness. The connotation, I suppose, being adjacent to a witness to an execution. Yeah. I liked, I liked, I, I don't think I had connected that in my head until you read it, but like being witness to an execution is great. And I think that's one thing we have to do with these people is, um, we learn, we don't learn until the next chapter. And I think it is really interesting how wild holds that information, right? That we, we've gone through this whole thing with these four people before we learn about the fact that, Oh, they're, they're actually going to be tracking these people in this world. Um, they, they, they might, 
have people that go there for just a, a limited amount of time and that are called back afterwards. That's all information we learn later. Right now, we know these four people have just been uh, thrown onto this world and presumably are going to die there. Yep. Um, and, and the, the icky feeling that our our main character has about this, uh, makes you feel that way too. But, but like, so, I mean, in your opinion, like, what is this, what is this saying about the themes of the story? Right. Cause we have this, we we're talking about, you know, second chances, new opportunities, recovery, improvement, getting better. Um, these people in the minds of our characters are people that have, uh, proven that they are not capable of that and therefore must be removed from the equation. Yeah. Um, and what what could the text be saying about that? Right. I mean, it's the, I think that's why there's so much foreboding here is, is you're taking this character who for whom second chances are important and, and, and really forcing her to face the, the, the fact that there there some people are going to get their second chance. They're going to waste their second chance and their third and their fourth and their fifth chances, as, yeah. as Anlay says. And um, and now you you know you being victoria have to decide what the just punishment is here and then yeah. this is exactly the kind of thing that she's sort of been struggling with all along because she she almost didn't think amy like she wanted amy to get a second chance like on principle but also kind of a different part of her wanted amy to be buried in a hole somewhere yeah um and definitely like giving her this power is a little bit dangerous. I think just the the idea like before, I think it was a comfort to her that she could shrug off the ultimate responsibility onto the law. Mm-hmm. And now that is gone. She hasn't, she hasn't used that particular coping mechanism in quite a long time. And now it is all on her shoulders. The responsibility of deciding, basically deciding right and wrong for lack of yeah. a better word. Like before she didn't really have to, like like it wasn't like she was evaluating moral questions she was evaluating procedural questions in context of um what code of uh, what external code do i do, do i um use as my touchstone the law that's great that's easy i can just stick with the law mm-hmm. now it's like oh shit i have to like morally reason through like how i personally as a human being feel about this and what i feel right. is the right thing to do yeah, I, I love that line of thinking because then Natalie's presence here and her saying that I am not here on any kind of legal oversight anymore. You have moved beyond that is is a perfect representative of that, that they've moved beyond what the law can and can't do here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and she has to deal with that and she doesn't like it. And and like it's interesting because like when we talked about this idea uh, the things jumped in my head is, well, how is it going to be administered? Who gets to decide who's worthy of disappearing and who doesn't? And it seems like they've set up just about the best possible system of control around this, right? Like you need a hundred percent agreement. If one person says no, then they don't do it, um, which is pretty good. Like I think, I think it being unanimous is probably a good decision. Um, but then we see that the only person who seems to be concerned about this at all in any kind of way as Victoria. So then it is literally all on her. Yeah. Um, it also, it's also interesting that the, the people present, like none of them is older than like 25. Like I, I, I would guess, you know, yeah. um, they're, they've got representatives from breakthrough, uh, um, advanced guard and the wardens, unless I'm, unless I'm missing someone else. Yeah. Um, I guess maybe Annalise was foresight. So anyway, they've got representatives from, from a few different hero organizations, but, 
there's I, I we don't learn how they come up with like okay who who goes to these meetings yeah and um and and why <laughs> right like it's mm-hmm. it's not a it's not like there's a it's not like they fill the the bench of jurors through some through some um objective process right yeah or, that's true or maybe they do we we don't know yeah i mean we we, we haven't gotten the the breakdown of the controls around it but the only one we know for sure is um has to be unanimous decision yeah but unanimous amongst who exactly yeah yeah Yeah. well yeah so let's just move on to 12 uh (laughs) 13.2 i've been saying 12 (laughs) for so long i forgot there's any other arc names um the crew heads upstairs into the warden's headquarters uh kenzie is the focus here as she joins them uh she's responsible for a lot of the tech we're being exposed to here yeah. Uh, for example, the infuriating security system that they have to pass through. Yeah, proving once again that she's she's one of, if not the most powerful cape in Breakthrough, uh-huh. um, for sure. Like, yeah, the 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 disappearing portal technology, uh, everything to do with the security system. This is all Kenzie kicking ass, right? Yeah. Um, which is interesting because like we had this we had this moment in the story where all her tech was damaged and she was basically like kind of crippled for a while. And now three weeks have gone by and we're seeing what Kenzie can do now. And it's like, damn. Yeah. Right. She has the full resources of like the wardens paying her to make this security system. She, she seems to be leaning a lot more on her box specialty than her camera specialty here. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's interesting too, because like this is kind of, this is a lighthearted start to the chapter, right? We have people like, um, we have people joking around about how no one can get through her. Her her password system is so complicated that people fail at it constantly. Um, and it's funny and lighthearted. And it's Kenzie like joking around about like, oh, like lasers and all these cool things will happen to you and you'll get chopped in half and stuff like this. And it's fun. But like underneath all that is this acknowledgement that like they're starting up this like super, super powerful, super secure system and it's almost as if to say trouble's coming. We know trouble's coming and we want to be prepared for it. Yeah, right. And Victoria will we'll kind of think about that again later. Lampshade that the idea that um, their their headquarters does not um, communicate security. Yeah. So, yeah, again, uh, Color Watch 2019. Um, <laughs> uh, Kenzie's pupils are now red. Um, and and uh, Ashley approves, says, if not black, then monochrome. And if not monochrome, red works. Uh, and Tristan adds, I like red. My costume, my power. And then Vista says, green here. Red is associated with too many bad memories. Green is like life here. Yeah, I, I love this. I, it's it's a great way to capture the characters, right? Like it's just little like they're, what they enjoy and what they like is is really great little character moments. Also like. So Kenzie's eyes just look like cameras now. <laughs> That's like terrifying. Yeah. So um, it, it, the implication being she's not wearing a mask at all here. Her eyes are just just red now. <laughs> yeah. Great. Well, cool. yeah. It's it's a it's a hologram, right? Or, a, or is a it projection. her is it her fake face? I'm not. It's a projection. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I yeah. I constantly assume she just got projections yeah. running all over her face constantly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think you're right. I love that Golem doesn't like red either. Uh-huh. He says it's stressing him out. Uh-huh. And, and some people have pointed out that that's a reference back to the whole red blue code of, of Dinah uh, when when Golem was fighting Jack, that like red was forward advance fight. Uh, blue was retreat. And it, it seems like the perfect kind of like tiny reference that Wildbow would throw in just like a fun tie back to Golem's greatest moment ever. 
I, I agree completely. I, I was thinking like, oh, that's got to be a reference to something. I couldn't put my finger on it. I was thinking like, is it like the blood or something? No, it's totally, it's totally the red blue thing. And, and red yeah. is always like aggression, danger. Yeah. 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 On like the worst day of his life. Great. Uh-huh. So um, once they're down the horrifying hallway of death, they see Kenzie's dimensional portal ripping box built from a ton of recent experience with portal stuff uh, and using her box specialty. I love. So, yeah, this is important uh, for me specifically because I keep forgetting that she's a dual spec tinker. Like it well says all this from a camera tinker. And she's like, no, I'm not a camera tinker. I'm dual I'm dual talent. Yeah. I have cameras and boxes. And I'm like, and I read that and I was like, oh, yeah, it's the, I forgot. Cause I think literally last week I was like, what does uh, curing the cradle thing have to do with cameras? It's like, it doesn't, Scott. It has to do with the other thing. I keep forgetting this. It, and I, I think I like that. I liked it in the world. People keep forgetting this too because the camera part of her thing seems to be like so dominant in, in tying into, you know, the, her, her desires that. You, you kind of forget about the box part of it, but yeah, I mean, it seems, it seems like a good thing to remind the reader of anyway, just to be like, Hey, like, don't be surprised when she can do stuff like this. Cause it's been right. established that she can this whole time. She just, I think she focuses on cameras. She finds cameras easier, um, but she can do all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then breakthrough discusses wanting a terrifying death maze as part of their own security system. <laughs> Um, and Ashley says that she wants a dart trap, prompting Tristan to use his power to help her sculpt the shape of the dart trap. It's, it's going to be a dick, right? I mean, that didn't occur to me at the time, but yes, I am now 100% convinced that it was going to be a, a dick. <laughs> because the dart dick trap. Uh-huh. Thanks, Matt. You've, you've measurably improved my life with that image. I appreciate it. I'm so glad. I feel like Vista has primed me for such thoughts um, with her. Yeah. You know, profanity in this chapter. Now I'm imagining like a villain trying to break into the breakthroughs <laughs> and just like, wait, what are those? Yeah. Are those dicks? And then they shoot darts at him. It's perfect. I agree. Um, I, I, for some reason, I love this bit where Victoria is thinking like I, basically wants to avoid a situation where she has conflict with Tattletail um, and just wants basically just wants Kinsey to be successful doesn't want to like argue over credit and compares it to a wedding where the parents are arguing over who paid more yeah she, she thinks just enjoy the damn wedding or in our case our ominous black cube that tore open holes between realities and I was like I just thought that was great it is great and it's like it's like she's talking to herself there right <laughs> like just just enjoy the day she's like Victoria stop being angry about Tattletale yeah. which I think is it's pretty significant here she's like all right I need to need to stop this like well and, and the whole line of thinking that that sends her down this is like she she starts this paragraph by saying um kenzie was holding it up as if this was her entire idea and it wasn't really it was breakthrough's idea and we supplied the money and tattletale supply and it's like it, it's so weird that she's like this, yeah. this is this she doesn't deserve all the credit for this and then she kind of works it back around to wait a minute yeah. let's just just give her give her the credit yeah it is humorously circular uh, so then Rain tries out the security system and he fails because he wrote down his password in, in, in his mask's memory. And this, and of course, Kenzie's system automatically hacked into his mask and of course. saw this fact and failed him automatically. 
poor rain. <laughs> yeah. We're going to see some more rain bashing in the rest of this chapter. And I think this is just good setup for some mask related rain bashing. I agree. Uh, yeah. So continuing the breakthrough costume, co- costume watch 2019. Uh, Sveta has a mask now. Uh, color is not mentioned. Rain's mask now looks a bit different. And Tristan's armor is repaired and dyed a darker shade of red. Yeah, which again, we're kind of going through taking stock, um, showing how people have improved themselves. Um, I think um, Sveta's mask like his has like as like tendril curled at the edges. Right. It says something interesting. So like tying into her tendril shape a little bit more, which is interesting. Right. Because I think that's part of her that she's not entirely comfortable with. Yeah. She's made the mask out of it now. But it says Victoria helped her with the design. So um, I, I. I don't know. I think it's I think it's just very interesting. Yeah, I agree. I, I had similar thoughts. Um, so I think, yeah, so now they, they pass through uh, another portal into another dimension. I guess this is like another safe dimension to get yeah. to the actual like true warden's headquarters. So yeah. that was basically we're being super secure here. Mm-hmm. And the warden's headquarters is is what Weld refers to as a bunker, and Victoria interprets it as a place that signals something more like caution and defensiveness than unassailability and strength. Yeah, I, I really like this moment. Um, I think it, it, it's a it's a really great like cue into maybe how the hero organizations are doing. Like they wanted this to be this this like beacon of strength, uh, but but. To her, it immediately feels like, oh, this is just you're insecure and you're scared a little bit. And I think this this almost once again is a hint at Victoria's mindset, right? Like she sees this thing, this this really strong defensive precautions. And the first thing she thinks is, um, I I think you it makes you look a little weaker. It makes you look like you're scared and and on the defense. And 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 I think that's an interesting kind of window into her mindset as well. Yeah, yeah, I don't have it in front of me, but I, I definitely remember the description of the first warden's headquarters that was destroyed by the portal. It was like, you know, epic and had these giant statues and had like this large, like wide open interior space, like like a lot of open space and openness. And this is basically yeah. described as a bunker and like the, the, the description is very narrow and contained and hemmed in. And it's, yeah, it's like this turtling up sensation yeah. yeah it's they're they're hiding right yeah, yeah um and and we have to say that this is doing something very similar to what cauldron did right they locked away their uh their base in another dimension and controlled the the only entrance into that dimension yeah and it's it's very similar it's it's and it's like I don't know how much we're trying to connect back to that the cauldron's modus operandi and how they operated their secret base, but it does it does certainly seem like they're scared. They're on the defense. They're they're running. Um, yeah, and it's not a good it's not a good sign for our heroes. Yeah, right. And uh, cauldron's solution worked really well for them until one day it didn't anymore. So yep. So Victoria and Swan Song take a few moments to absolutely destroy Rain's costuming <laughs> choices. Um, basically it's like, it's like stripes. You can make it work for you if you really work on it, but you're not making it work. <laughs> and Vista adds a uh, basic Vista volunteered. Yeah. I think, uh, I think Ashley calls it puerile. Puerile. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's really great. And I, I like, 
it's so rain though like I, I kind of feel for him because if I was a cape, I would probably need like my own Victoria or Ashley to style my shit because I wouldn't know what I was doing. Um, and, and this fits Rain so well. Like he's this person that lived most of his life without any real like feeling of free will. He didn't think for himself. He didn't really question or wonder about things. He doesn't know anything about relationships because the ones that he witnessed were um, controlled by other people. He doesn't know anything about style because he didn't really make those choices for himself either. So like it, it's it's this this wonderfully like on brand rain stuff for him just to have no idea and his choice is to be a little puerile a little childish here because he just doesn't know any better yeah right he thinks it's cool yeah but once again it, it warms my heart actually that victoria is spending the time with him and seems to actually care about yeah. his look like and care about him as a human being like they the whole last arc and maybe even the one before it um they were they were fighting side by side she got frustrated with him a lot, um, but she saw him like uh, basically just hold it together, do the right thing repeatedly, be strong, uh, be brave, and and he's earned her respect, even though yeah, you know he might not fit into the the tier of like you know best you know chevalier level hero for her. Um, right, he's he's uh, he's definitely like someone she regards as a full teammate now. Whereas I think before this story, you know, uh, arc, um, not just arc, but you know, the story movement, I, I think she kind of held him at arm's length. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think arm's length is the perfect, perfect way to describe their relationship up until this point. Yeah. And she's now taking a much more active, uh, interest in him. Um, and, and there, I mean, I think, I think Ashley effectively echoes Victoria's opinion here and hers. Um, she says to him, you've shown muster. The mask may be puerile, but masks can be changed. But what can't be changed is you'll always know you had something sterner inside you when it counted. And that's true, yeah. right? I mean, that, that, that is what Rain, that is what Rain realized about himself or rather what other people <laughs> realized about Rain. I don't know if he's fully real, he's fully able to take this compliment yet because that's just kind of what the type of person he is. But I mean, for, for some, for Ashley to have grown to a point of respect for you, you have to have shown a certain level of badassness, right? So I think, I think it, it means even more that this is coming from Ashley. It's like for Ashley to say you've shown muster, she's not going to bullshit you, right? Like she's going to tell you it, if she feels like you've earned this, then you've earned it. Uh -huh. And I, I, th I do think Victoria agrees with that sentiment. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 it's, it's great. I mean, it makes me feel happy for him, honestly, even though he's, yeah. even though he's not like internalizing any of it. Also, it's really funny when he's like frantically, like making changes to the mask, like as he's walking uh -huh. and like Ashley assumes the same role she had for Kenzie, which is to like direct him as he's looking down at his phone because like he's about to go meet with, Colt and he's like I don't want to I just everyone just told me I've looked like shit for yeah <laughs> for like months I need to fix this now yeah well I mean it's also fun to me that it's Ashley and and Victoria who are with him who are the two who, are, who would most likely be like yeah yeah you really should fix it yeah it's, it's a priority um <laughs> yeah so they head up into the warden's offices to the freestanding transparent walled cells holding Love Lost and Colt who are apparently not dead yeah um Seems like they're not depowered from context. Like, I would have assumed they were depowered, but maybe they reversed. Maybe they reversed whatever Cradle did. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Love Lost is in a straitjacket and she's got like a mask over her face that's seemingly meant to stop her scream rage power. Right. Yeah. So 
So, I mean, I don't think they would take those kind of precautions if she was depowered. I mean, perhaps it's just like like lowered power, not not depowered. Yeah. I don't I don't know. Yeah. It basically, I mean, I I am currently assuming that they got their powers back, that they somehow reversed what Gradle did. Yeah. Um, even though we don't have evidence for that, I I I feel like the text would have mentioned if they were still depowered i don't know yeah i mean they're considering uh throwing colt into the prison planet and if she didn't have any powers and they were doing that that's pretty fucked up yeah right right (laughs) so yeah um so we get an update about the mall cluster in general from rain Uh, so apparently they've been meeting in the dream uh the dream regularly but not communicating much colt kind of perpetually seems out of it not really understanding the gravity of her situation love lost maybe kind of coming around to seeing rain as um not a complete monster anymore hey yeah and cradle is just kind of disengaged constantly yeah i i'm really curious where this is going to go right because i think at the end of the last arc we were like okay we've done it with the cradle arc is over um but then the first two chapters of this new arc we've kind of zoomed back to their cluster and rain dealing with this cluster and them dealing with these characters like what is going to happen to them what what is the end of love lost's journey right um she's this really fascinating character i really enjoyed her interlude chapter um we saw that like she realized her her error the error of her ways but it was maybe too late and now she might get another chance here and what's going to happen there yeah um but I like that, like, I think the, the big question in my head leaving that arc was what's going to happen in the dream now, right? Because it's like, oh, God, um, you've just defeated this guy. What's what's that going to be like? So I, I'm glad that this gets answered within the first two chapters. Yeah, I agree. It feels like while Bo has a list somewhere of like, what are all the things that the readers are going to be wondering about <laughs> right. um, that, that right. I can address, um, provided it's not something that I need to keep a secret, right? Yeah. And and we're, we are kind of subtly starting to position our our whole cult thing where they bring up the idea that she's not acting like she understands what's going on. And that's going to have a lot of importance as we move into that cult conversation. Yep. So speaking of that, they visit her in her cell. Um, and it's interesting because like Victoria never kind of thinks like the goal of this conversation was mm-hmm. but we, we pick up contextually that the goal appears to be for Rain to try to get through to her in some way. And get like maybe some credible glimmer of contrition from her or at least like an understanding of what she was complicit in. And you get the sense that they would even accept her just like giving them some info about Nailbiter as like a token, uh, you know, compromise. But instead she just kind of doubles down on like a combination of seeming to not understand what's going on and, and then like not taking any responsibility at all. Yeah, this is I think this is the real the key part of the chapter. So I think we had to make sure we spend a lot of time on this because I think Colt is this really deceptively complicated case. Right. Um, And and what I love about this is we had this whole chapter where we took four criminals and we said, okay, reader and Victoria, how do you feel about making these bad guys disappear? And we're like, well, I mean, three of them. Sure. I don't know how I feel about this last one, but I guess. And then immediately like, okay. How about this fifth one now? <laughs> Here's a little girl who doesn't seem to understand why she's being punished, what the bad things she did wrong were, um, who later is like begging for another chance, even though she clearly doesn't understand. Like, how do you feel about that one now? And I love it. We're, we're complicating this thing. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because now there's powers interference, which is something where right. Victoria, as Victoria will say later, she's like, um, 
I don't even know if the authorities are equipped to tell when powers have interfered with someone's mind. Right, right. Like, yeah, we, we acknowledge that sometimes breaker states mess with your mind and space you out to the point where your brain just doesn't work as well anymore. But we can't prove that definitively. Um, it could be just her faking it. It could be just a misread of the situation. We don't know. So what do we do in that case? Do we assume? I mean, like we had a, we had a guy that we just sent that w- had, was suffering from uh, addiction. He had a disease where he was was suffering from this addiction and couldn't get over it. And it was causing him to behave in terrible, terrible ways. And we said, well, can't cure him with that addiction. So get him out of there. And now we have a person who might be suffering from shard shenanigans fucking with her brain. Uh, what do we do about that one? Yeah, it doesn't help. It doesn't help that Wildo makes her like a maximally frustrating case to deal with because she'll say right. stuff like, oh, can you bring the, psych- the, the psychiatrist back and I'll give them different answers this time? It's <laughs> right. like, okay, could you not be patently manipulative right in front of me when I'm trying to right. like evaluate whether you deserve mercy? Right. And and that's the thing. And that's uh, we're going to get into why why this pisses Rain off so much. But the thing is that she doesn't seem to understand the only part of this whole thing she understands is that there is a consequence. She doesn't understand why the consequence is there. What she doesn't seem to get what she's done wrong and why she's being punished for it. But she understands the punishment and she's willing to do whatever it takes to avoid the punishment, um, which is not really making amends for anything. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, basically, so I, I feel like eventually she comes around to making a good point, though. Which is basically to say, like, hey, Rain, you know, you did some bad stuff, too. And it actually took you a while to, fe- to feel properly bad about it and to figure out how to go about making amends for it. And by the way, Rain, it's only been three weeks since I was, you know, caught. And basically, like, it, it, this, isn't a, this isn't a moral argument. This is a, this is a, hey, Rain, you're not any better than me, really argument (laughs) yeah Um, right and it's really interesting that rain has a hard time buying this because like a big part of his mentality and how he grapples with his with his wrongs is that he feels like he's trying to work against the way he was raised and she doesn't have any such excuse and so he has a hard time kind of extending that kind of um charity to her yeah yeah he sees himself as a person who had no choice but the second he did have a choice he chose to become better. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas he sees her as a person who always had a choice and consistently chose wrongly. And I mean, there is some truth to that, right? But <laughs> how, how much leeway do we give people? Like rain was lucky enough to get a lot of leeway in this transformation process where as he was figuring himself out, um, he, he got these opportunities and we're kind of saying to Colt, you don't get the opportunity to work through these processes. Um, I mean, here's the thing. Like she, she should not go like it, in my opinion, I'm willing to make a definitive statement here. Dropping her on this prison universe is not good. Is not what we should do here. Like, should she, should she be in prison? Yeah. If, if there's, if there's a possibility of, of imprisoning her and, and giving her the opportunity to kind of work through these things in a way that rain got the opportunity to work through these things. Great. But I feel like if you just drop her on this planet, she's going to die. Yeah. <laughs> and she's certainly not going to get better. Like, I mean this, the, the, the dropping them off on this dimension thing is like the last resort is like, we have decided, well, 
it's not even that though, because we learn later that it's like, oh, we're going to just send you there for three and a half years. Once your sentence is over, we'll pull you back. Um, but yeah, right. she's probably going to die. Yeah. Like there's, there's a bunch of crazy people with superpowers over there. Right. I mean, it does seem a bit when you think about it, like, yeah, in three and a half years, we'll, we'll take you back and I'm sure you'll be in a, in a much better state of mind. <laughs> right. Like, you know, you know, what helps you get over, um, and and learn a lesson from the terrible things you did. It's struggling to survive on in a foreign pla- place with surrounded by bad people with superpowers. Yeah. Like, yeah, I just I, I I find that the the oh it's just a sentence and you get to come back wrinkle of the disappearing to be very very interesting. Yeah, right. Almost borderline disingenuous. Like like right. like we know this isn't real. We just have no other option. Right, right. And it's like, oh, well, if if you're like in a bad place, I'll be in the the dream with you every night. And um, and (laughs) and you can tell me and then we'll come help you. Uh Will you, though? Yeah. Right. (laughs) Right. Unless we're busy. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Well, but I mean, they're they're like desperately trying to like just give us any information you have, just anything you have, any information. And she just honestly doesn't seem to have a lot like she does. She can't tell them where like because cults dumb like that's it's like that's why you kind of feel bad for her she's just dumb she doesn't get it she doesn't understand she no one really trusted her with any information so is she gonna know where nailbiter is certainly not yeah yeah i i I see i see colt as like instance number 10472 of of wild bow kind of moral reasoning or, or or maybe like tying your moral intuitions into a knot is a better way of framing it because like yeah because like he's gotten us to this point I, I think almost every reader at this point is like on team rain even though they may have yeah. been really pissed off at rain for a long time I, I think even like one interesting thing about like you know keeping you know keeping part of the fandom throughout this 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 story's evolution is that is that different people have kind of softened up on rain at different times some yeah. some of them were were almost immediately willing to extend him the benefit of the doubt some of them it took much longer it took him kind of proving himself before they were willing to to, to kind of admit that that he had turned a new leaf and was cool now yeah. um rain is uh, sorry colt is like rain but with no extenuating circumstances no justifications that make it seem like oh well anyone would have behaved that way in that situation just like kind of a uh unimpressive human being who got swept up into circumstances and then did nothing to get out of those circumstances yeah and then was complicit in terrible things and now has no contrition for having done so and it's like hmm interesting yeah I, i i love that because like i think in the the grand scheme of things rain is is an easy case, right? Uh-huh. Like rain stood up in front of a room of people and said, I'm guilty and I deserve whatever punishment you levy towards me. Yeah. Um, it's pretty easy to like a guy that does that, right? right? Who takes responsibility, who says, yeah, I did terrible things. I did them. I take responsibility for them. Punish me. Like give me the consequences. I accept them. I deserve them. Give them to me. Colt is a person that can't do that. Because she doesn't even seem to understand what she is guilty of. How how can you take responsibility for the things you're guilty of when you don't even really understand what those are? That's a lot more complicated. And like, yes, like I don't I don't 
think she should be absolved of her crimes or anything, but I, I do agree that this is like, okay, rain was, you thought rain was a complicated case. Ah, rain was actually easy. Here's this one. Right. What do you think about this? Yeah. Should, should she get the opportunity? Should she get the same opportunity that rain got? Does, does the motivation to make amends matter as long as the amends are being made? Like these are all complicated questions and I'm really interested to see where the story is going with them because none of our characters seem like they know what to do here. Yeah. Right. I think in a sense, um, the whole, this, this whole first two chapters is like the, the moral confusion chapters. Like no one, no one, has any kind of clear standing where, where there there's no Jean-Luc Picard in this situation to be like, <laughs> no, no, I know what the right thing to do is every, every single person here is like, huh? Oh, well, you know, what, what do you, what do you think? I don't know. What are your feelings, Rain? You're close to yeah. her, I guess. And it, yeah, it's like, and, and Rain's like, why do I have to decide? <laughs> right. Uh, and Rain is, I, I love that moment when like she says, I don't want to go to prison. And he slams his hands down. Right. Yeah. Maybe a little bit of a reciprocal red rain we're seeing there. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I think for him, this is kind of challenging his entire outlook. Right. Like, I think on the one hand, he wants to be fair. I think what she says gets to him a little bit about like, no, you got your, your opportunity. Why shouldn't I? But they are different. It, it, it is a similar situation. It is not the same situation. And I think a lot of his ability to move past the horrible, horrible things he did is this basic understanding that I didn't have a choice. Um, and I've proven that when given that choice, I'm better. But if we give, if we give these opportunities to people who had a choice and did it anyway, I think that kind of upsets his world in a way he's not comfortable with. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Complicated, interesting stuff. Yeah. So yep. We move on and Colt kind of gives them something by, by basically saying, you know, it seems like she has a lot of insight into shard stuff that they may not have. And in this sentence, in, in this, um, in this paragraph, I assume that the they refers to the shards. That, that's my interpretation. She says, yeah, that's because dreams are something they don't get. They don't have enough data or reference points for them. It's why when they move on, they'll want a lot of information about dreams and dreaming. It's why things slip through the cracks in dreams or get weird or are spaces where they can manipulate things more. Yeah. Um, yeah. So basically, we're learning a little bit about shards here that, that it's not just... They don't just use dreams. They actually think dreams are, are important and useful. And uh, if anything, they might be something that's relatively unique about humanity. Yeah. Kind of yeah. a cool the, thought. The, the thing that they're most interested in. And that ties with the, all the, the dream manipulation they did to Cradle, why he's a it's a dream cluster. It ties into Aiden's weird dream, which they specifically mention in this chapter. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So they leave off with Colt not really having come to any conclusions about her. Uh, yet again, Victoria has reservations about condemning someone, but can't sufficiently articulate or support those reservations. Uh, so in this case, it gets left in limbo. They don't really know what they're going to do with her. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love the open questions here. Like, what do we do? Um, is this fair? Does, should she drop, be dropped in a prison world for three and a half years? Uh, if not, why not? And yeah. how are we making the distinction? And where do we make the distinction with some people and not with other people and who's in charge of like, it's, it's a complicated mess. And, and you just feel like this is just spinning up. Like, I feel like we're just going to be having more and more villains. It is it. I got the, I got the feeling that like cradle had already been disappeared. 
Um, I'm not sure if they disappeared to him or if they were using him for something else. I'm not, yeah, not sure. I'm I don't sure. know. Because like they, they mention here that Cradle's uh, trial went through much faster than Colt's. Yeah. And they, they did all thing and they processed him and he's not there anymore, there being the headquarters. So they've moved him somewhere. Um, we don't know where. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure. Uh, so, yeah. I guess I assumed that he wasn't disappeared yet. That was my assumption. Yeah. Um, so now the team goes to join Jessica Yamada, their therapist, not, not our therapist, not my therapist, not my former therapist, their therapist, uh, who has sent emails to everyone except Victoria feeling hurt and confused. Victoria gravitates to the comfort food of the fashion and concept art corner and tries on a heavy reinforced shawl cape thing. Even as she does this, she wonders that I want it for what it gave me or for what it kept away. Uh, which I think is a perfect tie back to the description of the warden's headquarters at the beginning of the chapter, right? Um, we, you've got this thing. Is this, is, do I want to project strength or power or my, will my attempts do that only reveal my fear and defensiveness? I, I think, I think it's a really fun imagery tie back to how she describes the bunker. Um, yeah. Because it's it's this thing that she's seemingly going to wrap around herself um, that that she's using to project some at some image of herself. Yeah, that's a great. I don't know if I even saw that parallelism, but yeah, the the heavily reinforced concealing cape thing is definitely very similar to the bunker. That's fantastic. Yeah, I love yeah. that. And she seems aware of the fact that that bunker is sending a different message than the ones that the wardens wanted to. Do I want to do that same thing? Yeah, yeah. So then chapter ends with uh, Jessica hesitantly agreeing to talk to Victoria after she talks to Breakthrough. <laughs> and this is like one of the... I, I had such a hard time not reading today's chapter, Matt, and I'm sure you did. I'm sure you did. Um, but I like. I love what Wildbo is doing with Jessica here, and I'm really interested to see where this goes because like, she's this character... Like, it, It's this perfect way of... of I think what long form storytelling can accomplish because we have this character who that is loved by the fan community and the writing is able to play off of that a little bit here where we like throughout this whole story, we've complicated Yamada in interesting ways. The first real moment is I've made a mistake. Come fix my mistake, Victoria. And now there's certainly a reason for why she's doing this, but it it seems on the surface so hurtful and cold and and I, I i love it yeah um but i'm just so fascinated to see where it's going yeah i know it's it's a very surprising and, and interesting wrinkle to be introducing in the story at this point i think yeah yeah and i think it's way more complicated than just uh jessica feels guilty and and feels guilty about victoria so i don't I'm, i think it's something much much more than that and maybe we'll be like it seems like we're building this up to be maybe the the central plot line of this arc. No comment. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's move on into the community spotlight where we read what people said uh, last week. So last week it was a mini mailbag. We didn't have a formal discussion question. Uh, we fe- we thought it kind of felt like a good break point in the story. Um, so we made it a question bag. So uh, first from Sarah Penguin. Uh, Sarah Penguin asks, as connections are important to Ward and Ward focuses on relationships more than Worm, who do you think will have romantic relationships and will they work? 
Uh, also, any shipping, regardless of canon? <laughs> um, this is interesting. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I feel like, okay, for one thing, I feel like we're quite late in a story for for any romantic relationships to like come in out of nowhere so if there's going to be a if there's going to be a a relationship it's going to be with someone who's already in the story does does that make sense yeah like ashley and victoria for sure yeah (laughs) i think we've just answered this question satisfactorily (laughs) no but i think that's really interesting because I, i think sarah penguin is absolutely right that the focus on relationships the focus on connections is way more important to this story than it is to the, the well i mean it was important to worm but in a very different kind of way um and 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 you would maybe expect to see a, an emphasis on romantic relationships and there has been like in the, the the you know perimeter of the story it's never been the central focus of the story but i mean we have sveta's relationship with weld we have characters in the background i mean we just had a breakup right yeah um we just had a breakup in this chapter so i i, I think i think Victoria exploring that I think I think Victoria is more likely to be exploring her past relationship with Dean than it is future relationships um but I I do think that they are going to be part of what what is explored I I think like like family is more important than romance in this story yeah and and Victoria just seems light years away from being able to to really be in a relationship and and even reflectively will like say things like that yeah, I mean, can you imagine her being like having any kind of physical affection with with someone in a romantic way? Like I just she's just not there. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I don't know. I I don't think about this kind of thing very often and I mm-hmm. I, I don't see it taking like a really strong role. Like I guess I can see Aaron and Rain ending up officially together like more more yeah. than just kind of their like flirty thing they're doing. Um wouldn't wouldn't surprise me to see that um on the other hand. Yeah. On the other hand it could that you know, maybe not. So Gotta get some confidence, Rain. Yeah, right, right. All right. All right, next one. Next, yep. next question is from uh, Frustrated Free Buddha, who asks, is there anything you feel has been lost with your movement from one hour to discuss seven chapters to three hours to discuss two chapters? Probably sounds a little ironic with what with the increased time to cover the depths of Wild Bill's work, but is there anything you feel has been missing from We've Got Ward since We've Got Worm was covering arcs rather than chapters? Um, I think this question was asked to us before on the last mailbag we did last year and i think i answered um yes i think there's something lost there at the time i think but a year a year later my answer to this is no i i really don't think anything is lost i mean i think there is what what could possibly be lost is like one segment of overall thematic stuff. But I think I I really think even with this deep dive, we're still talking about the large thematic movements of the stories, the large thematic movements of the arcs. Um, I think we're still capturing that. It's just spread out amongst seven episodes instead of in one. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think anything's being lost. I I don't think we would have spent like 10 minutes talking about one line back in, (laughs) back in we've got worm or maybe, maybe we did that very rarely. I feel like now we get to do that all the time. And, yeah. and that's something that we're both interested in doing. And also just like all, all the many ways you can look at simple things. That's something we get to spend a lot more time doing. Yeah. I mean, the only thing that I think is lost by this format is uh, our our grace period because <laughs> we're we're responding to something as it's being written. So we have like the chapter comes out Saturday and we record on Tuesday. So we have very little 
very little time in between those, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, so, so we, I mean, we don't, that, that is the challenging part of it. And, and so that's why we have episode delays a lot more in this one than we do in the other one. And that's why like, it's coming up on summer and I'm going to be on vacation in summer and we're just not going to be able to do an episode some of those weeks because what can we do? The chapters are literally, literally have not been written yet. So we can't like with worm, I went on my honeymoon and we recorded three episodes in one week, which holy shit, man, how did we do that? <laughs> I um, remember that we, we woke up at like 4am or something to do one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Ridiculous. It was insane, but we did that because we could, we can't do that here. So that I think is a, a big difference in the formats. But as far as what we're getting to cover, uh, I, I felt that way at the beginning and I don't anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Uh, this <laughs> says, what are some of the fire axe moments we don't get to see because you guys realize it before the show? I know a lot of times when I read chapters, I'll miss something really obvious um, for, for example, I thought it was Cradle's mech that got crushed instead of Brandish. Uh, they say, until I check the Reddit and see what other people are saying. Has that happened to you guys a lot? Um, I mean, for myself, I think it's hilarious when I say something stupid. Um, <laughs> so, sometimes, um, I'll, sometimes I'll be corrected on it uh, th- like through a back channel while we're recording and, and, and we'll just leave it in. Yeah. Um, and I'm uh, like, I, I, I don't think we've ever cut anything out just because we were wrong about something. No, no. I, our editing process and the people that listen to us record live can can speak to this, but our editing process is fairly minimal. Um, I think I've sometimes I cut like if we fumbled a joke that messed up the timing, True. I'll cut the the part in between that makes it land better. Um, but any any just like factual error we made or complete misread we usually leave that stuff in i don't want to i don't want to be dishonest um yeah if like there are times where like if i'm reading the script and i see something that matt has written that i just think is wrong i will like message him and say like hey matt i think you said this i think it was actually this um and and he'll be like, he'll look into it and be like, oh, yeah, I think you're right. And we'll we'll make changes to the script. Um, and then there, there, a lot of times, like what I'll do is when I'm working through the chapter and working through my progression of the chapter, I will just like spam Matt with messages that are just like, OK, so here's what I'm thinking about this. I'm just thinking aloud. Check me to see if my if you think my read is like completely off here or not. And you'll do that. But um, no, we don't. I don't think we ever really like pull anything that just because it would be embarrassing. No. No, no. I, I, the only time is when like we're interrupted, basically, right? Yeah. And then it's just like, well, that's just bad. That's just bad audio. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, Farm Fresh Hornet says, "Now that March is dead, what other twist of fate is in store for those who lose the final round of polling?" I guess you talk about March's madness here. Um, well, March is dead in that world, but not in this one. So they're gonna die. Yeah. Uh, their their uh, their other question is, what is y'all's name for the Kenzie Heartbroken Aiden team name? You got anything good here, Matt? Uh, I wish I wish I had uh, thought of this more. Um, no, I don't have anything good. Right. I really like the idea of Aiden naming the team, and so I want it to be like the Chicken Lots, because <laughs> there's a lot of them. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Uh, the first place my mind went was like Eagle Eye. Uh, but that doesn't have that doesn't have any heartbroken connotation to it. It just has a Kenzie Aiden combination. What about like emotional eagle eye? Emotional eagle eye, yeah, sure. 
I mean, Aiden should get to name the team, right? I agree. Like, we're all in agreement on that. Okay. Yes, I definitely, think. definitely. Yeah. He's the best. Okay. He's the best at naming. Uh, Rid Tom asks, you've covered a lot of Victoria's interaction to being able to kill, but relative to the group's discussion way back in Rain's interlude, how do you think the team will behave to Victoria's will to kill uh, and to a lesser extent her more assertive leadership? Um, I don't think... I think that everyone is kind of on the same page at this point. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't think it's going to be a huge. I mean, I think everyone understood that it, that that the fight um, on Earth N was a life or death struggle, basically. Yeah, I think when it comes to that stuff, uh, Victoria is her own worst critic. Yeah. So she's going to take her take it harder uh, internally than anyone else is externally. Um, and, and when I say Victoria's worst critic, I mean, besides her mom, who's <laughs> obviously out of the picture right now. Yeah. Well, um, like no one in this chapter seemed to be like, um, seemed, seemed to be like reeling from that fight, acting like lines had been crossed and they were no longer yeah. comfortable with the team. Yeah. And as far as the leadership, I think they've always like liked Victoria's leadership style. So I don't see them have a problem with it. Um, you might see her and Ashley butt heads about leadership decisions a little bit, but I don't see Tristan really butting heads with her. Yeah. On that. Yeah. All right. Not a flipping robot asks, how can you guys live with the knowledge that you forgot Ward's leader and best explosion girl Hoyden a few episodes back? She went hand to hand with Scion and lived. Very people, few people can say that she's awesome. So, that that was an inside joke with one of our longtime patrons, Prof, uh, who loves Hoyden, who I think when they first joined the Discord, their their name was Prof Hoyden. Um, and uh, we just pretend to forget who Hoyden is. We just is. pretend to forget who Hoyden is because yeah. it drives Prof crazy. Yeah, joke answer. Who who are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Hoyden died too, didn't they? I don't, I don't think I, I don't think they lived. Yeah, Prof will be happy to hear that I literally don't remember what happened to Hoyden, so <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Uh question from Q2. Is that the username? No, that that's just oh, not a flipping robot. Question second two question. From, <laughs> from not a flipping robot. I noticed during the narwhal segment that you guys touched on the fact that narwhal seemed out of touch with her humanity, but never mentioned the word of God um that she had her personality partially rewritten by her shard, a la bitch. Is this because you want to keep Word of God separate from what's mentioned in story or because you guys just didn't know about it? Explains a lot of the stuff you mentioned. Um, consciously wanted to keep the Word of God separate, frankly, from my point of view anyway. I don't even know if we talked about that, but I, I was aware of that. And I was just like, you know, I feel like all the stuff Wildbo said about his characters after Worm but before Ward, I don't, I don't want to go mining that for insight. Mm-hmm. I want to focus on what the text of this story says. My Yeah, my thought of this has always been if the word of God stuff is important enough to understanding the character, it will be put in the story in some way eventually. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, while it's fun bonus information, um, I yeah, we I, I think we've made a conscious effort to not. I don't I don't read it like I didn't know that. Um, and I don't I mean, I don't think my enjoyment of that section was hurt because I didn't know that it. it it makes a lot of sense, but um, yeah, I, I actually um, subtweeted it verbally by saying um, that doesn't make any sense. What I said was, we do know that Narwhal is a second trigger, so maybe that's the reason why she thinks differently. So I was sort of indicating 
my extra story knowledge from the word of God, but I, I wanted to do it in a, in a way where it was like, yeah, this is a plausible thought that you could have without having to resort to, to word of God. Gotcha. So. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the thing is like, um, some of that, some of the word of God stuff could have changed in the intervening years. True. And so until it's in the story proper, I don't want to lean on it for my analysis or interpretation. So, um, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with loving the word of God and, and getting into it. Like there's nothing wrong with that. You guys do you, but it's just a decision we've made not to do. Yeah, totally. All right. Uh, Perditorian says, or asks sequels and particularly those that follow new protagonists often have a difficult task balancing the old and new. It can be fun to bring back characters from the original work who already have a lot of character development behind them and who fans are already invested in, but leaning too heavily on characters can begin to feel overindulgent or detract from the development of new characters and plot lines. How do you think Ward has handled this challenge so far? Has the reintroduction of old fan favorites successfully struck this balance? And if so, why do you think it's been successful? So, um, I think the smartest thing this book did is waited a very, very long time before it really started paying off on all these new character or old character introductions. Um, if you look back at the first few arcs of the story with the exception of, I mean, Amy and our protagonist, I guess most of this, most of it was introducing the new characters, getting to know the new characters, getting to understand the new characters and like that whole arc of the, that whole, the first two kind of arcs of the story were very much about all the new stuff. And it's only very, very recently that we've gotten into the old stuff. Yeah. So, <clears throat> and even when we introduced old characters, it started out with characters like Jessica Yamada, Weld, Sveta, uh, characters who were not super important in Worm. And then, yeah, we just didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. Like they were, they were, you know, some of them got their own interludes. They were they were important characters, but but they weren't um, they weren't Tattletale. They weren't you know e- even Foil. I think had a bigger role in uh, in Worm than you know Weld. Uh, she she was around more. She was more important to the plot. Yeah. Um, and so the, like Weld almost like waited longer to introduce characters in proportion to how important of a character they were in Worm. I agree with that. Yeah, except for Tattletale, she came anyway. It's not a perfect pattern, but the point is. But I mean, yeah. Tattletale, like her her introduction to the story was very cursory at the beginning, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it's just like a couple interactions, and those are interactions that made a lot of sense given her relationship with our protagonist. Yeah, it wasn't really until very very recently that she's started to play a fairly central role in the story going forward. Yeah, I mean, I mean to answer the. To answer the question as asked, I think the reason why it, it doesn't feel indulgent, the reason why it strikes this balance is that every time one of these old characters is brought in, it feels perfectly organic. It feels like that's, you know, yeah, of course, what we, we know that Tattletale was going to be in the position of trying to, you know, uh, be, be a gang leader in Brockton Bay, in, in New Brockton Bay. And, like, it just makes sense that she would be involved in the story here. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I agree. Cool. Data Snake 69 says, if you were badly injured and had to choose between being healed by Amy or Riley, which would you pick? Amy. Yeah, I, I agree. Amy's only really badly fucked up one person, and that was like extremely extenuating circumstances. So, yeah, yeah that, that's kind of easy, actually. Yeah. If, I mean, if you're, if you're making me choose, yeah, right? Like, right. I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't like roll up to Amy and be like, hey, do some stuff. But yeah, if you're making me choose, Amy, yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
uh, a heroic kumquat says, I've noticed recently just how, how often chapters in ward are starting in media res. Can you talk a bit about why you think in media res start, what you think in media res starts achieve in ward? And in particular, do you think Wildbow might be overusing the, this technique a little? Um, I mean, I think it's a very effective tool, especially in long form serialized storytelling to get your reader invested in the chapter immediately. Um, and I think that's why Wildbow uses it here. I, I wouldn't be able to answer that second question. Maybe you can, Matt, but until, um, cause I haven't like actually quantified like what percentage of the chapter start in media res or not. So, um, I, I I know off feeling, it doesn't feel like it's being used too much, but, um, and I don't even know if there's a precise enough definition of in media res, because like sometimes it's in media res where you're just like, what the fuck's going on? Like, like one that jumps to mind is when she's like having an aerial duel with crystal. Um, and you're like, Oh my God, she's fighting her cousin. And then it's like, no, they're just, they're just sparring. Um, there, there've been a few like that where you're like, Whoa, I, I literally don't know what's happening, but usually it's more like we're just picking up from the last chapter from, from the end of the last chapter. And I don't really think of that as being in media res. I just think of that no. as being like, this is a serial. We're just continuing what was happening. So yeah, that is, that is not in media res for sure. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's more the latter year, the former you were talking about. Um, yeah, but like tr true in media res, I think that gives you a kind of disorientation that can be useful. Um, it, it forces you to like, it, it puts you in a state of confusion where you're trying to like solve a puzzle while reading which is which yeah. can be fun and I, I think that every time Wildbo employs it he does it in a way that is fun so i have no complaints yeah cool. i mean the only time i really didn't like it is uh the whole game thing in the in love lost's like the hangout i forget what the name of that place was it's been so long um oh yeah when they're playing the video game with the yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. that's the only time i didn't really like it but i think that was not specifically because it was a media res like my complaint with that had nothing to do with it, us jumping in the middle of the action mm -hmm. um no i mean i i i agree that that can get old if used constantly but i do not feel like it is being done that way in this story yeah so. Shinichi07 says, seeing Cradle getting his shit wrecked, uh, then Dauntless's interlude, and then finally Vista, Imp, and Foil making the end of March, literally the end of March. What would you, uh, what would you guys say are, are some or just one moment in Worm and Ward where the payoff was incredible to you? Um, the first thing that jumped into my mind when I heard this question was Taylor's confrontation with Emma near the end of War Worm. Uh, which chapter is that? Which arc is that? I don't even remember. You anymore. mean Sophia? No, no. Oh, um, Emma. Oh yeah, the, the cafeteria. 20. Yeah, 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 yeah. The cafeteria. I was gonna say the cafeteria scene too, actually. Well, that's I said it first. Yeah. So. Shit. Shit. <laughs> oh, God. I have to think of something else. I don't know. Um, I mean, the I mean t Taylor gets a lot of badass moments, definitely. Yeah. Um, but specifically, like a payoff. Well, yeah. Yeah. Like, um, I was just thinking about this the other day. I don't want to just like bloviate on the air any longer, but th th <laughs> there, w there was some, there was some specific thing that I was actually thinking about the other day where I was like, um, I, I guess, I mean, just to reference the red and blue thing, I thought that was a fantastic, like the, the way the fight with, um, with Jack ended and then, and then that like segueing into Scion being an interdimensional alien. I thought that like, that was the moment where I was just like, oh my God. 
you know yeah and like the yeah the the true way in which the world is going to end being revealed was a pretty great payoff yeah right yeah i agree with that cool Okay, Calinero985 asks, has the fact that you guys now personally engage with Wildbow on various social media changed the way you perceive the story? I know that you're not pulling punches in terms of your criticism, but is there anything different that comes from knowing the creator of a work semi-professionally as opposed to seeing it seemingly exist in a vacuum? Uh, yes. <laughs> um, I would be lying, and I think we would be lying if it, if, um, if it didn't mean something different, right? Like, but I don't think it is as impactful as people would think it is. Yeah. I mean, so, so in my brain, there's this guy who hangs out on a discord called wild bow. (laughs) And then there's the story ward, which is written by a different person named wild bow. Like, like like I I know that's not true, but like, as far as my brain is like, I'm, I'm, I'm being a bit humorous here, but like, I, it's it's hard to it's hard to wrap your head around like interacting with with the creator of something that you think is this awesome. So uh, yeah, it's 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 definitely it's definitely complicated. Yeah, I mean, in my opinion, it's had a positive effect on me, and it's had a positive effect on how I uh, see the story, and it's had a positive effect on how I criticize media in general because I know for a fact that everything I'm saying right now is being listened to by the guy who writes the story, like right, right this very second. Um, and yes, that doesn't mean I'm not going to criticize things that I don't like. Um, but it does mean I am going to speak about the work of art, knowing that the creator is, is able to hear me. And I think it's not that that changes the way you talk about it, but it, it, I think it, you, you're much more focused and targeted and um, like fair, charitable might be the right word. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think, I think this changes how I approach media in general, because if I'm talking about a movie I saw, I I think about how, how I talk about Ward and I say, talk about this movie as if the guy who made that movie is listening to you right now. Yeah. And I, and I think, I think that's better for criticism in general, because I think I, I don't, I don't think, cause I don't think it causes you to pull your punches, but I do think it, ca- it, it causes you to maybe just be a, a bit more careful in, in the words that you choose to speak about the thing. I think it may have sort of positively kind of infected my thinking and, and the way I speak about other things. Like kind of like you said, yeah. like when we're, yeah. when, when we're on the doof cast, I'm generally less likely than I was, you know, two or three years ago to just be like, this movie was a piece of shit. I hated it. I hate the guy who created it. Yeah. Like, like I, and I used to say stuff like that. And part of it was cause I thought it was, cause I thought it was funny. Yeah. Um, which I kind of still do, but like the, the point is I'm, I'm much more interested in trying to figure out like, you know, here's one thing I did like about that movie and here's why I think it worked. And that's yeah. just a habit I think I picked up from doing this project Yeah. So and I'm not I'm not saying that, like, you should strive not to hurt the feelings of the person. Right. Because sometimes you're going to say something that is the way you feel and it is honestly the way you feel and it might hurt someone's feelings. But I am saying that, like, if it causes you to just be a little bit more careful in how you choose your words, um, I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Cool. Um, Salt says. 
you probably won't do a full podcast on PAC, but is there any chance we'll get just one Doofcast episode when you two are done with it? Uh, stay tuned. Yeah. Um, I think the guys at Deep Impact are doing an absolutely wonderful job. I am, of course, like two arcs behind them um, on my slow, slow reading, but I think they're doing a great job. Um, but stay 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 tuned <laughs> yeah i mean i i'd love i'd love to chat about it so yeah cool as for ward questions salt asks who is the most powerful member of team breakthrough in your opinion kenzie <laughs> yeah i mean kenzie or, or actually victoria potentially um it depends on what you mean by powerful like like probably kenzie in most in like in terms of like versatility um I mean, but like, but like Sveta in a certain sense, like if it's just about like, can you kill someone quickly for us? Then probably Sveta, you know, did you see, did you see the death hallway, Matt? The death hallway. But, but I mean, I, that's why, that's why it's context dependent is like that took your time to prepare. Whereas like, I mean, even, even Capricorn can like shoot water at you and then turn the water into flying spears. So they've all got their, their moments. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Fine. <laughs> Lost Man 138 says, what what has your biggest oh no moment been in the story so far? Um, what about Matt? What do you got? Uh, first thing that jumps to mind is uh, Kenzie dumping her parents' food um, and saying, sorry, my parents are so fucking embarrassing. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, the, the the weld weld want weld obviously wanting to break up with Sveta was was probably the biggest moment of like no 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 just just bury me alive so that I can just suffocate to death and not not have to read this chapter. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Kenzie um, and what she did to her foster parents. Uh, yes, 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 yes. Uh, that that's mine for sure. I agree. Eesh. I agree with that also. <laughs> <laughs> um. Kyrgyzstan says, what expectations did you have prior to reading Ward that you've been most surprised to see subverted um, or to see fulfilled? Um, well, well, me walking into the story, I actually thought a lot more time would have passed. I thought that we'd be looking at like a generation later. The world would be very different. Uh, I don't know why I thought that exactly, but um, I, I, I really, I think maybe I thought that I had heard, oh, Walbo said something like that. Um, I think that was complete bullshit and I, I don't know why and I believe that. But anyway, uh, and I don't know. I haven't really had any expectations that were fulfilled other than maybe like it's going to be a hero this time instead of a villain. Mm-hmm. I think my, my, the, the biggest expectation I had that was fulfilled, I think um, was that I wanted this. I, I would, I don't know if it's an expectation or a hope, but I wanted this protagonist to feel distinct from Taylor. Um, and that has absolutely 100% been fulfilled. I think we focused on that so much in the first few episodes because I was like so floored with how different of a person Victoria was. And we've kind of backed off that as the story's gone on. But uh, yeah, I mean, I that's I'm so happy. I'm so happy that this she doesn't even feel like Taylor in any way, because, you know, there's I guess there's a worry that like uh, writers write characters in certain ways. They have a certain voice, just a writerly voice. And that writerly voice comes through in the characters and it makes your point of view characters feel samey um but that that was never the case here yeah and having read twig i wasn't worried about that but i can see that being a a concern Mm -hmm. cool um 
Yeah. Beat Beat Nemesis says, um, I'm not sure why, but it seems to me it's more difficult to keep track of minor characters in Ward than it was in Worm. Has this been an issue with you guys at all? No, but I mean, it's because we're like spending three hours <laughs> on two chapters. Um, I, I'm curious to see if my que- the response to this question for me would be a question of did you read worm it was as it was being written or did you read it after it was released because uh my guess would be it's because the distance between us seeing these side characters is a lot longer when you're reading it as being written yeah it's it's easier to keep track of who young buck is when you when you read worm in one go instead of like that was you know a year ago or whatever so yeah yeah, yeah. tattletale 89 says there's quite a bit of fandom controversy around amy all hail the Red Queen, and how accurate Victoria's assessment of her is. There's also some delicious irony in the way she's seen as a taking time bomb by her sister while her mother doesn't see her that way. Do you think an Amy or Carol interlude uh, could either lessen the controversy or exacerbate it? Yes. Totally. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I, we've already had interludes for both of them, but maybe, maybe now Amy is no longer Amy. Maybe now she's the Red Queen, so she could get an interlude. And maybe now Carol is no longer Carol. We've had an we've had a not in this story. I don't not think in this the, story. I don't think the rule about no double interludes counts when it's a cross story. Um, I I thought it did, but the implication was that if you get a second interlude, it's because you're a substantially different person now. But maybe that's not exactly accurate. I don't know. I, don't know. I just always assumed we were going to get those eventually. Um, I mean, I think the, the real question was, would it, would it lessen the controversy or exacerbate it? And uh, th- it was a joke when I said the yes. The answer is yes, yes. I mean, because the, the, the truth is, it's absolutely going to do both, depending on uh, your, what you like about Amy. Like, if you are a diehard, Carol is the worst person ever, um, an interlude that makes her seem maybe a bit more understandable... Um, is either going to cause you to say, oh, I understand her a little bit more, or to cause you to go, no, I refuse to accept it. Fuck Carol forever. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think these are complex characters and people have complex emotions about them, and more information is just going to complicate how they see the characters one way or the other. So for a lot of people, they will have a newfound appreciation for people they didn't like. Some people might hate people more than they ever did, and some people are just going to, Continue to believe the way they believe no matter what. Yeah. It's going to continue to be as it has been so far in the parahumans world where people react wildly differently to uh, different characters. Uh, It doesn't mean I am not very much looking forward to seeing uh, inside Amy's brain. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. All right. Sarah asks, now after the end of arc 12 with the first appearance of Firax paired with the Vista fake out, do you guys ever wonder if you or we as collective readers have too much power? We know Wild Bill listens to this podcast and reads comments around the interwebs and being able to listen to reader feedback as he writes is something special about the web serial media, but I don't know how I feel about it possibly that we could be shaping the story in such a significant way. Was the Vista's death reader kickback or just too much or was this just a plan all along? Um, I'm, I think it, it was definitely the plan all along. The, the, hints, yeah. the hints are all there if you go back through it. I, so my answer to this is... I, I wouldn't phrase it as power. I would phrase it yes. as as it, uh, it's super valuable for a writer to be able to see in real time what people are, are understanding out of what they're trying to do, whether what they're trying to do is hitting the mark um, of, of what they're trying to accomplish with it. And then and then to to adjust the sales slightly 
uh, to compensate if maybe they don't feel like they nailed something or if something didn't come across the way they intended it. That's not power because it's not like we're it's not like we're getting our way right. Wildo is reacting, but he's not reacting based on whether we complain. Right, <laughs> he, he's, right. He's calibrating his vision of what the story is, or, or, or I should say, I think I think his vision of the story is its own thing, and what he's reacting to is. Am I am I succeeding in communicating that? I think I think that is absolutely correct. I I complete. That's exactly what I would have said. Cool. That yeah. Uh, any any quote unquote power that exists is minor. Um, this is and will always be his story, and and the changes will just be exactly that. And stuff like fire axe. I mean, like that's that's always to me. I, I think it's I think it's wonderful. I I love it. Um, but it's always been just like insignificant throwaway stuff, right? Yeah. Like anytime anytime Wildbo has directly reference the community and his story it has always been in like the smallest possible way like usernames and parahumans online was a thing he did yeah um and that's stuff that's fun but is not like it's not like controlling the flow of the story yeah yeah or or or, or changing decisions that he would yeah. have made yeah yeah so uh, so the, the general answer was if you feel like you have a, you are directing the flow of the story uh don't feel that way because you're, you're not I, yeah you're not. i agree Cool. Uh, King Bob, Bob 12 says, who is your favorite breakthrough member and why is it Rain? <laughs> well, uh, because Rain stood up in front of a courtroom and said, I am guilty and I deserve what happens to me. Yeah, I, I definitely love uh, Swan Song. Um, I thought Eclipse was just amazing. Um, they're, they're all great. Like that's it's what's kind of amazing is it's like a. I forget how many of them there are, <laughs> but but all of them have been great. Like there's not like oh yeah, and then there's the shitty one. Like they're there's all been fantastic characters as we've gotten to know them in turn. Yeah, and I just love the story. My answer to this question literally changes chapter to chapter. Yeah, <laughs> right. Who, um, whoever spoke most recently is my favorite right, character. Right. <laughs> yeah, recency bias. Whoever was the, had the last line of the chapter. Yeah, favorite character right, right there. All right, our final question, and this is a complex one. Um, Lucas asks, what do you do when a piece of media misrepresents something or ties into a larger negative stereotype in Ward and beyond? How can you critique or talk about this portrayal, especially if the media is well-made and seems supported in the story? How can you raise these topics in a way that acknowledges the strengths of a piece while still pushing for better representation? Um, do you want to give context to this one, Matt? Um Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. L limited context. Yeah. So, so the, this uh, Lucas is actually, is this the the email that we received? Yes. Yeah. So Lucas was expressing, um, I, I suppose I I could say like some concern about the portrayal of 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 Cradle of Ryan, um, as representing a specific mental illness, and 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 basically the portrayal of Cradle as being a, a villainous character, reflecting poorly on people with that mental illness or, or that, or that, um, personality disorder or, or ho however, however you, you phrase it. Mm -hmm. Um, basically I thought about this for a while and we talked about this for a while actually. And, and I, and when it comes down to it, like the question is how, how can you cr critique or, t or talk about the portrayal? How do you react to this basically? And, and how do we raise these topics? And, and I'm, I'm just kind of like, this isn't really something, and maybe this is a cop out. Maybe people can can react to this, but like, this isn't something that I think about a lot. Like I, the way I th am am approaching 
criticism in general as a human being, being who I am, having the tendencies that I have and thinking about the things that I think about is to think about, okay, what is the story trying to accomplish here? Is it accomplishing that? Um, what, what are the techniques of literature that the, that the writer is employing to accomplish this aim? Like I love, my favorite thing is to just like find something that just absolutely guts me in the story and be like, how did he do that? How did he set this up? How did he execute it? Like, how does he make these characters so lovable? Really drill into the details of that. That is what I like to think about. And and when it comes to, like, whether a portrayal is is positive, and that all, to me, is is related to, like, the social context, the cultural context. And, like, if I had to put it, I think, you know, you, you and I were talking about this earlier. Like, I think if there's a name for what you and I prefer to do, it would be, like, formalist criticism. Yeah, And to talk about portrayals and how, how they interact with society, that's much more similar to like a form of cultural criticism of which there are many subtypes. And that's just not something that we've really focused on. And that's not that I, I'm not particularly good at thinking about stories that way. I don't think I would even have anything smart to say about it. So that's just that would be why I don't go there, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean... The critical theory is a complicated, varied animal, right? And everyone makes decisions about what type of critical theory they want to focus on. There are there are feminist critical theorists who view and analyze novels, you know, in the vein of a feminist theory. There's people that do it with Marxist theory. Um, there's a whole, whole, whole bunch of them. Um, we have, as you said, we have elected to do a sort of formalism and i'm not saying anyone is inherently superior to the other that's the thing about critical theory is it's all just different ways of looking at the same text from different angles um the reason why i have and i probably think you have traditionally backed away from that sort of analysis is i don't feel equipped to do it um and i don't think i would do it justice um because i i just i'm not very knowledgeable in that regard um and it's it's absolutely reflective of the privilege that I have as a straight white dude in the United States of America. Um, but I, I, to, to answer the question, um, the, the way you do this is you just have a conversation. You bring it up. You, you say, this is how I feel about this. Um, I, I feel like this did this in a way that I didn't appreciate. And you have that conversation and you, you share your interpretation of the story and your lens on what you're seeing. And then hopefully you start a dialogue with people. And I don't think people should outright dismiss you for your opinions, but I think there's going to be some dialogue and, and disagreement on certain aspects of it. And that's okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the reason why we didn't necessarily jump down that is because I don't think I can really speak about, you know, depictions of antisocial personality disorder versus realistic, like um, what what that actually looks like in our world. Like, I just I just don't have enough knowledge. Um, I know that I feel like Cradle is a complicated, interesting character who isn't good or bad. He's just who he is. And, um, I thought that was really effective to talk about the struggles people have in with the cards that they're dealt. But yeah, I mean, I could, I definitely see an argument for why that would upset some people. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. It's funny because even as I'm thinking about it, I'm like dragging it back into a formalist framework where I'm like, <laughs> right, where I'm right. like it's really valuable to, to understand if, 
um, 95% of people read something one way and then 5% are just absolutely hurt by it for reasons that the author, you know, for, for reasons that neither the author nor, nor the 95% would understand, then if you're the author, you want to know that because you, you don't want to write something where you're accidentally having the wrong impact, an impact other than what you're aiming at. And, and that's, right. that to me... <laughs> To me, it's a formalist question, right? I'm, I'm like, that's just how I think about things. Um, yeah. Very utilitarian, I suppose. Um, not, and, not in the ethics sense, but in the can I like, like, how do I use this sense? Yeah, I mean, and the thing about I think critical theory is that like, even if you say I am a formalist, it doesn't mean that that's a hundred percent of how you approach everything. Sure, a hundred percent of the time, right? Yeah. Well, we talk like a lot about morality, and that that's not formalist. That's just like, what is the story saying about morality? You know? Yeah. 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 So, so, um, but yeah, I mean, I, my, my answer to Lucas would be, you know, share, like he sent us an email and, um, I, I, we, I think we adjusted how we said some words based on his email. Mm. Um, I think one of his criticisms of me was that I used the phrase normal when discussing, uh, people without antisocial personality disorder. And I thought I had put emphasis on it to, to mean like it was quote unquote normal, but I didn't say the words quote unquote normal. Um, so I see how that could be construed that way. And I think we, in the following episode, we tried to adjust the word usage and be more careful with the word usage we used. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's my answer. I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, it's hard to remember not to read out loud the quote, so we write into our scripts. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, representation is important. Proper representation is important. I completely agree with that. Um, but yeah, uh, I guess that's my answer. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's okay. So general discussion: literal headcanon points out that Ward has a relatively consistent tri-arc structure, where each major movement of the story is divided into three arcs. Uh, that's awesome. I just thought this was really cool. Yeah, uh, I hadn't I hadn't actually ever taken the time to break it down like that. But when you break it down into the 12 arcs that we've had, it has seemed like every uh, mini um, like mini story arc is is falls into that. Here's arc, like almost like a almost like a three act structure in a film, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, set up, build, climax type of stuff. Yeah, I haven't had time to 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 go through all the arcs and, and fit that pattern, but that's awesome. It feels, mm-hmm. feels right to me. Yeah. Uh, also, after our discussion at the end of last week's episode about the fact that English class is bad because you don't get to read Worm, we got an email from a literature teacher named Matt P. who spent the last a year teaching Worm to a class of 90 high school students in southern China. This is uh, totally amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, and we, we've asked uh, Matt to provide us with a report on how everything went and I will update you as soon as we have one. Yeah, I can't wait to I can't wait to learn all about this. Yeah. That's so fun. Yeah. So the discussion question for this week is discuss your favorite example of a type of nonviolent tension in Wild Bow stories. Maybe not the best worded question I've ever written, but the the point being it's easy to make tension where the stakes are, you know, to to life and limb. Harder and less obvious how to make tension where the stakes are something other than that. But there's a ton of it in all the parahuman stories and and all the wild bow stories in general. In fact, that's some of my favorite flavor of tension. So find your favorite example of nonviolent tension. Yeah. I mean, physical conflict is a lot easier to write than 
uh, other kinds, right? Yeah. So the fact that the story doesn't just employ fisticuffs as its tension. Yeah. It's it's great. Yeah. yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing those answers. Cool. All right. Let's get our uh, final four results for the March's Madness death match and then uh, do our championship picks. All right. So first up, Matt, in the first of our final four match, we have the girl herself, Skitter, versus a, a robot dragon. And who won that that heated match? Well, um, unsurprisingly, Taylor took it 63% to 37%. Let's look at some of the comments. Uh, Lexicon says, once we're at this point, everyone loses. <laughs> uh, we have some people still mourning the loss of Dennis. <laughs> still? Uh-huh. Yeah, right. Uh, Kippos says their head hurts. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm basic. I voted for Skitter, says Enamored. <laughs> uh, this is all great. Cool. Uh, Thunder Butter goes on to a long explanation of, of why uh, why Dragon is, um, ha- how, how they're similar, and it's fascinating that they ended up paired up at the end. Uh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, go check out those comments. And then. So advancing to the championship round is Taylor. Taylor Hebert, aka Skitter, aka Weaver, aka Capri. Okay. Other matchup Tattletail versus Imp. I mean. Whoever wins, we lose. This was a very, very close one, Matt. Yeah, 53% to 47%. And shockingly, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Am I surprised? I'm not even sure. Uh, <laughs> Tuttletail takes the victory. So the final matchup is Skitter versus Tattletail. Best friends, enabler duo, saviors of the world. You decide which one of them lives. <laughs> Okay, so we have to read some of the comments on that last uh, that last okay, okay. match up there. So Robert says, "Vote for Imp or I'll destroy you." So Robert's got a lot of people to destroy. Okay. Um, Skanderson says, "Whoops, I don't know what that means," but they've. <laughs> okay. Oh, I think that refers to uh, the Imp quote from the uh, last arc. Oh yes, of course. Um, N- Nylum Supernum says, "I think there's a bug in the pole." There's only one option, and it's Lisa. <laughs> um, and then yeah. Elliot says, if Imp wins, I can pretend Amy would have. So a lot of, a lot of old old matchups still <laughs> providing some pain. Yeah, people still still bitter over their favorites losing, I guess. Understandable. Right. So let's talk about the championship match, though. Skitter versus Tattletail. Skitter, on her path to the finals, defeated her father, Jack Slash, her therapist, <laughs> her best friend Dennis, and a giant AI machine. Uh-huh. That's Tattletail, on the other hand, <laughs> defeated uh Taylor's bully, which was nice of her, Lung, Bitch, and Defiant before taking down the elusive imp. So, Matt, who wins March's Madness? I mean, this is this is impossible. This is impossible, and I resent that you made me choose. Matt? Uh-huh? It's possible, because you have to pick right now. Um, I mean, I mean I've mean, i already clicked on Skitter, <laughs> because I love, I love her. She's, she's such a good character. She's my favorite. She's the protagonist. Mm-hmm. Tattletail's great, but Skitter is the girl who did all the cool stuff. So the I'm, girl who lived. Yeah, she's, she's the girl who lived maybe according to me 
<laughs> All right. I'm doing yeah, it. I voted for uh, Skitter as well. Okay. Um, look, I, I love Lisa. I do not like Lisa as much as the community likes Lisa. And I've kind of been surprised at just how much people like Lisa. She's, she's cool. She's not Taylor. Sorry. This was actually an easy decision for me here at the end. I mean, yeah, I don't l- like her so much as I think she's an awesome character. But yeah. Well, I, yeah. I, I, I no, I, yeah. I, that's kind of what I meant, yeah, though. Yeah. I mean, she is a good character. She's not Taylor Hebert. No, she's not. So you, you have, what have you done here, Scott, on this page? I have decided to make a third place match. Uh, or should I say March has decided to make a third place match, which is weird because I'm pretty sure we said specifically that uh, everyone that loses is now dead. So really what you're voting for here is um, the corpse of imp against, uh, I guess, just like an empty hard drive that represents dragon. You know, we could say that like dragon was killed, but dragon just like rebooted from one of her backups. And then and then like whoever thought they killed imp actually just like got distracted and then was alone in the room and was like, oh, I guess I won. So so both of them actually lived and now they have to fight again. Well, there you go. So they escaped their destiny only to be pitted against yeah. each other. And this time we know who won this fight because Taylor was able to to stop Dragon in her tracks by just saying that Imp Second triggered and might be somewhere under her feet. So just the mere threat that Imp might be present defeated Dragon. Wow. So therefore I vote for her. I also vote for Imp. She should have she should be in the championship right now, frankly. Um and therefore, I will take out my frustration on everyone out there by giving her third place. <laughs> Sounds good. So that's it. We will announce the winner of the tournament and the winner of the third place match this time next week. It'll be on next week's episode. You're going to have you don't get it on Sunday because there's no more voting after this week. After Sunday, the voting's over. If you have not voted yet, go do it. Yeah. And we'll announce it on next week's show. Sounds good. Well, that's all we got for you this week on We've Got Ward. You guys are all part of this show, so feel free to provide us with advice, questions, or thoughts on this week's reading. You can reach us via email at gotwormpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at gotwormpod, which is also where you can see my live tweets for each and every chapter. I've started reliably doing them both on Sunday afternoon now, and that seems like the way it's going to be going forward. So follow it to find them there. Yeah, and if you're not already subscribed to the show, we rock, we strongly recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find uh, We've Got Ward on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else podcasts can be found. And you can find all the other shows we do over at our website, doofmedia.com. That's where you can find Vow to View, Deep Impact, The Doofcast, The Book Club, um, all the old shows that we stopped doing, but they're still there. You can go listen to it all. Yeah, Yeah, the old ones are good, too. They're, yeah. they're just, I mean, they're, they're still there. They're good. Yeah, they'll, I mean. They'll always be there. Yeah. Um, and if you like any of these shows and you want to support them, please consider donating to our Patreon, patreon.com slash doofmedia. You can donate a dollar a month or whatever else you can afford. Uh, supporting us on Patreon gives you tons of great bonuses like voting in our quarterly fan art and costume contests, Q&A sessions, access to live streams of our recording sessions like this very one, and our excellent Discord chat. Yeah, and I think uh, as soon as we're done with March's Madness, we are going to be announcing the next fan art contest. So uh, get ready for that. Get your pens and your pencils and your up, la- up. And your tablet computers. Your tab, yeah, yeah. Just paint. I don't know. I don't know how art Wars works. Do. Just do do that. Yeah. 
Special thanks to new patrons this week at the Bidoof level, Sam at the $2 level, and Sage of Stupidity and Endless Turtle at the $1 level. We really appreciate that, all of y'all, so much. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, guys. And, of course, go over to Wildbo's Patreon, patreon.com slash Wildbo, and donate to him as well because this is his world and we're just playing in it. And if you cannot afford to donate right now, that's absolutely okay. You can instead help us out by heading on over to Apple Podcasts and leaving us a rating and a review there. It really does help. Really, guys, thank you for continuing to do this. It really means a lot to us. This week's review comes from Oren M. all the way from Israel, who gives us five stars and says, Highly recommend for anyone who enjoyed Enjoys Worm. I thought Worm was really good when I read it, but Matt and Scott so showed me Worm in Worm is so much more than I ever realized. It shows that both Matt and Scott are really passionate about Worm, and at least in the podcast, they get along really well. Yeah, actually, as soon as we stop recording, Matt and I just scream yeah, at each other. It's, it's really bad. Yeah. <laughs> They're also very likable and open-minded, in my opinion. All of these make the experience even better. I actually cried when We've Got Worm ended, which hasn't happened to me on any other podcast, so give it a shot. Wow, we made people cry. <laughs> wow, that's, that's really uh, affecting me right now. I thought, on, I thought only Adventure Zone could do that. Yeah, so that's two podcasts, Adventure yes. Zone and We've Got Worm, apparently. It's yeah. two, wow. two ever. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much, Oren. We really appreciate that review, and we appreciate you taking the time. And everyone else out there, thank you so much for taking the time to leave these ratings and reviews. Yeah, so that's it for this week's show. We'll be back next week with more black. So would you say that we'll be back in black i hit the sack it's been too long i'm glad to be back i can't play the song because we'll get copyright flagged but you guys got me it's acdc see you next week (laughs) 